Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken. I'm joining me in studio. As always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And also joining us in studio, senior sports editor of the ODPH. He is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach! Coach Duffy. I... I'm a little fatigued because I got on the James Harden diet plan. So if I don't have the same energy as I did, uh, it's just because I'm a little sluggish. Sluggish yeah. is one way to describe that diet, but we are going to deep dive into it a little 50 later. 50 pounds in, the show. in 24 hours, guys. It was not easy to do. Man, you talk about <laughs> tough, tough. I, I can't even wrap my head around that, but we're going to get right. into that just a little later in the show. But we want you to join in that conversation with us. So definitely head on over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPH. So let us kick off the sports edition of the ODPH, recapping the week that was in the NFL. And it is Divisional Playoff Weekend. Mm-hmm. So we have some four games to break down. So, Pad, why don't you kick us off? Yes, yeah, so we're going to be doing these in sequential order, a.k.a. when they played. Uh, so starting off, we had the Green Bay Packers take on the Los Angeles Rams in Lambeau Field, where the Green Bay Packers won by the final score of 32-18. to uh, Aaron Rodgers, 23 of 36 for 296 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Jared Goff, 21 of 27 for 174 yards passing, uh, one touchdown, no interceptions. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, without Donald playing... And Cooper Cup out as well. Just the Rams, you know, magic ran out. You know, it was just that's too big of injuries to overcome. I mean, I know Donald played, you know, only missed like maybe a handful of snaps, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the same, you know, Aaron Donald of, you know, healthiness. Right. Um, and with that, you know, Aaron Rodgers was able to step back in the pocket and, and execute the offense. I mean, they, they look good. I, I'm very excited for this NFC uh, championship matchup. I think this is a great matchup. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, no disrespect to the Rams, but this seemed like a tune-up game for the Packers, where Rodgers never seemed to be in any rush. He never seemed to be really worried about anything. You know, he didn't get sacked at all. You know, he spread the ball around pretty evenly. Uh, Alan Lazard, uh, 96 yards catching. Devontae Adams, 66 yards catching. You know, uh, Robert Tonyan, 60 yards catching. So, you know, spread the ball around pretty evenly, and it just seemed like they were just like, all right, let's try a few things out here. The one thing we need to remember is Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Facts. And when he's in playoff mode, he is a downright scary individual. Oh, when he's in pissed off playoff mode, it's yeah. like it's a whole other yeah, level. It's a whole other level, man. It's like Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. You just you can't beat him. No, you can't. It's inevitable. Yeah, it, this game absolutely was. I mean, even for a very game L.A. Rams defense, mm-hmm. the fact that once Rodgers got rolling, he's home. And this is the yep. first time he's been home in a while for the playoffs, too, if memory serves me right. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, no, this is the first home NFC championship game he'll have oh, okay. in his career. But that being said, he's in his home turf. He knows that he has been on that whole Mamba mentality. I know we throw that around a lot, but he has that. Uh-huh. And he is single-handedly willing the Packers 
through the playoffs. Oh, yeah. And with games like this, he really makes that contention. He should be the MVP outright. Yeah. He, he has been literally dissecting teams with great defenses with ease this year. Yeah. I mean, the only hiccup really has been that game against Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. week six. Yeah. And as it feels like light years away. Oh, I mean, it feels like it was like a whole other season ago yeah. with the way that he's playing right now. Exactly. And the fact that he just torched Jalen Ramsey. Oh, yeah. And made Dude, him. Dude, he looked lost. Yeah. Lost. Ramsey, for the amount of trash talk that he was doing. And he was chirping even pregame. Mm-hmm. He absolutely looked like he shouldn't have been logged on the field. No. Well, I mean, it's just crazy because, like, you know, obviously they were putting Devontae Adams in spots to be successful. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, the one play that comes to mind is the touchdown play yeah. where, um, you know, they ran him across the, the formation. He kind of got picked by his own guy. But, I mean, really, if you look at Adams, or, uh, yeah, Adams' stats, he only had 66 yards. So it's not an exact, like, you know, tremendous game. Like, Jalen Ramsey still did his part, you know. I mean, it's just funny because, like, I, you know, you think about these games and, like, and where what a quote unquote elite defense is, and I was mm-hmm. like thinking about that all weekend because like you know everybody the Saints is a good defense, and the Saints kept them in this game, or defense kept them in that game, and and the Rams defense kept them in this game. You know, it's like they gave up thirty two points, but like right. what makes a great defense now is causing turnovers. Ram- mm-hmm. Ramsey partially did his point because yeah, he kept him in check yards wise, but you look at receptions to targets. Uh, Devonte Adams, like I mentioned, nine catches. He got targeted ten times. So yeah, congratulations, Ramsey. You held him in check to sixty six yards. He still only didn't catch one ball. I feel like yeah. I feel like if you're going to be a shutdown corner trash talk everybody in the league yards, that's great. That looks awesome. But that differential between targets and, and receptions got to be a little bit bigger. No, I that, agree. but that's the that's the stat though. Now is mm. yards. Like if you hold a receiver under a hundred yards, you did your you did your business because you can't. I mean, of those catches. How many were bubble screens? Yeah. How many were quick outs? You know, I mean, like those are routes that are difficult to cover. I mean, if you're talking route tree, it's like, all right, did he stop a deep route? Obviously, because he only had 66 yards. So on nine receptions, what that tells me, because I, you know, I couldn't watch the entire game through to through, mm-hmm. um, that tells me that they were probably throwing some quick outs, some bubble screens, some quick screens, you know, just routes to get the ball in his hands quickly. So he could be effective. I mean, for the touchdown pass was a two yard pass. Right. So it's like you know, and, and but that's what successful offenses do. They get the ball to their playmakers. I mean, that was the whole thing. You know, to do what I normally do. The Giants used to do with Odell Beckham: mm-hmm. get the ball in his hands quickly and let him be a playmaker. I mean, that's what you see on the college front. You know, you see these teams run bubble screens and these screens. It's not because their quarterbacks can't throw the ball. It's because they realize, all right, are do are we better off with? Uh, um, Adam or uh, Devontae Adams having the ball, or are we better with uh, Mac Jones? Eh, we're going to refer to at Ad- We're going to give the ball to Adams. Right. And, I mean, that's what made Alabama so successful. So, you know, Jalen Ramsey did everything he could to stop him. And, okay, one pass incompletion, yeah, it doesn't look great stat-wise, but if he was getting the ball up against the line of scrimmage, there's nothing he can do against that. And that's why, like, even now, um, God, with uh, who was Revis Island? Mm-hmm. Like, even Revis, they were talking about this on one of the shows. Like, even Revis today, as good as he was, would have difficulty covering these wide receivers with the kind of routes that they're running. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but to me, a successful defense now weighs on turnovers, not it, how much points or whatever they're giving up. If they're causing turnovers, they're a successful defense. It's a very valid argument, and I even say the great example of that this season was Miami. Right, because right. Miami 
was horrible about stopping the yardage, but they caused turnovers. So it's, that's ben, what, it's Ben, don't break. Exactly. I mean, as much as you know, a lot of fans don't like that. At you know that that notion. That's what it's become in the NFL. It's like literally in the game. The you know when we talked the Tampa Bay New Orleans game, mm-hmm. it was like f- holding hold them to field goals because they're just going to keep driving the ball down. The Kansas City Buffalo game. That is the exact outcome you want because mm-hmm. you're not going to stop their offense. So if you force a punt. That's a huge win. You oh, have yeah. to score in that drive. Absolutely. But if you hold them to a field goal, that's a successful drive because you held them to three versus six. It's a wild scenario that the game has evolved in that sense. Yeah. That defenses, which, I mean, everybody knows with Aaron Donald and uh, Ramsey on there, like the Rams have had a very stacked defense that should be able to shut some teams down. Oh, sure. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is just on a different level, and this kind of really showed the where they need to step it up for next season. Because yeah. Rodgers is just—I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to stop him. Do no. I? Be honest with you. You know what's really crazy? Like, so think about rewind the clock to when you know Green uh, Favre had his last year mm-hmm. uh, in Green Bay, led him to an NFC Championship game, lost to the Giants. The next year, you know, they let him go and and sw- make the switch to Aaron Rodgers. What do they do here? I mean, he so when Favre when they let Favre go, not only was he on a contract year, but you know, father time was starting to show itself, and it was like, all right, we need to move on. Yeah. You know, here you have Aaron Rodgers playing literally the best football of his career, back-to-back seasons, MVP candidate, and now leading your team to the Super Bowl. Like, what do you do this offseason with Jordan Love, in, you know, as the backup? One would hope they learn from history because, you, know, you know, that whole thing about, you know, not learning from history. If they mm-hmm. would have learned from history, they wouldn't have drafted Love. Well, yeah, yeah but at the same token, though, you got to have a backup plan for eventually. But one would hope that they've learned from history and what happened with Favre. Now, Favre's arm, you know, wasn't quite falling off yet, but, you know, some tendons and ligaments were, were starting to be missing there, you know, metaphorically speaking. You know, he, you know, the bulk of his good years were behind him. There, you know, he had some flashes of brilliance in his a couple of years after he left Green Bay. But you know, that that's not the same case here. Rodgers is still as good as he is. You know, even a couple of years ago, I don't think they can let him go. I think the smart move would be Rodgers is still there. Yeah, love hold that clipboard and take notes. That is what I think they should do, and I think that Green Bay is smart enough to realize that. Because Rodgers, like you touch upon, is playing the best football he's played. Right. Period. Yeah. It would be a foolish idea to think that they need to pull the trigger and switch. It'd absolutely be foolish on their part. I think if Rodgers had shown a small decline. Yeah. As small. Like, I'm yeah. not saying a complete fall off. But yeah. Something to raise an eyebrow. If he wasn't thrown as deep, if there wasn't the same zip. Yeah. If there was something in that variation... Then I would say, okay, Green Bay really needs to assess. Even though the team is in the NFC Championship, it would still be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, I don't think that's the scenario here. No. I, I completely no. don't. I think unless something got so toxic like in Houston with yeah. uh, with Watson, yeah. then I think then you would have to be a little wearisome. I don't think it's at this level yet because no. well, no, because he's still run, he's still running stuff. Right, exactly. It's still his team until further notice. I mean, you can't make any drastic moves, and you just have to keep looking forward. And I think for Rodgers, he's just on a mission to prove it to the office that you made a mistake drafting right. a quarterback. I'm going to let you know that you made a mistake when I'm holding up the Lombardi. So for Green Bay, they got a lot of stuff moving forward. For the Rams, though, 
I think there's a lot more flags that are showing than not. Uh, especially since as not great as that Green Bay defense was, they really like I realized they gave up uh, 18 points to the Rams, but mm-hmm. I you would have figured as not great as that defense is, Rams would have scored more. Nah, I'm the Rams will be all right. Well, I think the two areas I would be concerned with if I was a Rams fan that McVeigh and Goff do not seem like they're on the same page. Like there seems to be a major disconnect there. I don't know. Like it just the optics are looking that way. I don't know. I to me, it's like I don't ever know if Goff. Like I, I obviously McVeigh. I mean, they signed an extension, so yeah. like they they have to know he's the franchise guy. They but, Carson winced it. Yeah. I, well, I mean, yes and no because like he played very like he was good last year. You know, I mean, yeah, this season was kind of up and down, but. You know, Robert Woods was out of the lineup at one point. Cup was out oh, of the yeah, lineup. They had a lot of injuries they had to work with. In yeah. fact, Goff with a broken thumb. Yeah, so, I mean, is there, you know, I don't want to say that there's necessarily trouble in paradise, but there there might be a little bit of I think you're issues. starting to see some storm clouds forming. Sure. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying it's dire straits. Like I say, it, this is not a Houston situation. Oh, God. I, no. I, don't, is, I don't know if the problem is so much Goff as it is. is McVay just not as great of a head coach as we thought maybe i mean well it just it's a lot of success early right and that and that's the problem that sometimes you just get lucky and that's what happens and you and you see that a lot in other sports you know f- besides football baseball basketball i mean baseball especially you know guy comes up from the minor leagues red hot star looking like the next greatest you know thing since ken griffey jr and then all of a sudden a couple weeks maybe about a month or so goes by Teams start getting tape on the guy, and they start figuring him out. And then you go, all right, this is when we're really going to figure out what this kid's about. Mm-hmm. You know, McVeigh, hottest thing on since sliced bread on the field. Then they got the tape on what he does and what he can do, and they figured him out. And he's yet to really, you know, change the wheel a little bit and going, all right, we got to adjust some things. Yeah, well, I mean, they ran the uh, Wildcat for pretty successful of percentage of time. So did so. Miami, like. Yeah, no, no, ago. but I'm saying like they they weren't expecting that. It's not like they showed that on game tape. Like I, I'm just saying like is it the finer like finite things that make him maybe you know can he remember things? Sure, I mean oh, he yeah. probably remembers oh, yeah. what he had for breakfast in the start of seventh grade. But like as far as you know being out coached, I mean now this is another game where Green, you know Matt Fuller out coached him. You know, yeah. so I think it was more Aaron Rodgers out coach. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, uh, and I mean they now, you know, they lose their defensive coordinator going yep. into this offseason, which I know you're probably absolutely ecstatic about because Dabble was 100 percent had that job. Well, you know, to kind of just touch upon too, Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator of the Rams, are is now the D, um, going to be the head coach of Los Angeles Chargers. Yep, and there was a report that broke that said Brian Dabble, the Bills' offensive coordinator, had the job. Yeah. That's going into NBC was reported. Yeah. Like it was on their air. They were like, "Yeah, uh, Florio came on." Was like, "Yeah, it looks like uh, da- you know uh, Dabble's got the job mm-hmm. uh, the, for the Chargers." And I was like, "Oh man, that's I wonder if that's going to weigh on him." You know, going into coaching this game, blah blah blah. I, I I felt the same way, but then when it came out after that Staley got the job, I was like, "Wait, what is going on here?" For a Bills fan, I'm happy about it. And for the Rams, like this is gonna be something that McVay's got to really assess and get the right guy in there because you have a good yeah. de- you have a good defense in there. Yeah, you don't want to see it fall. I figure if, in the, if nothing else in the offseason, you can pick up a few more solid guys on offense. I'm not saying any Triple A, you know, five star, you know, home run guys, you know, that everyone's eyes go ooh. But just some little guys a little more consistent because I'm sorry, Cam Akers, Robert Woods, and, and Cooper Cup are not exactly like. 
I'm going, ooh, fantasy guys. All right. They're good, but they're not great. Yeah, yeah. You need you need, you need some better guys. They need to do some upgrading, and they'll be having time to do that on the offseason because well, there's their starts now. What I liked about Stanley, though, finding out was he was a college quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, and I was thinking about this, like, going, you know, I was getting ready to go to bed and, like, you know, doing my mental shit for this, like, oh, we're going to talk sports tomorrow. Let me mentally prep before bed. Aww. And I was like, when's the last time, like, a head coach was, like, a new coach, like the coaches of today. So mm-hmm. not like the the Norv Turners or the sure. the coaches of yesteryears. You know, like when's the last time like a head coach was an actual like overall seer of something? You know what I mean? Like had his hands and pulse on everything to the point where like, you know, like an Andy Reid, you know, helps out with the defense a little bit. Or Bel- well, Belichick doesn't do much with the offense, but I'm sure he sprinkles it in there. But like. Stanley's going to know how to run the offense efficiently and still be a defensive mind because he played quarterback at an elite level in college. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the Chargers have got a real steal in this. I, because I, I didn't even hear anything about Stanley was looking for a job. No, or Stanley was looking. I so. heard, I heard next year. Yeah, he was going to be the name. Like yeah. that was going to be the hot name was going to mm-hmm. be him. Yeah, so it, it's very surprising. But the Chargers, they could definitely use him. And like I say, the Rams offseason starts now, so they're definitely going to have to do some work to make sure they stay in that NFC West race. But let us switch gears because we did talk about Brian Dabble. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those Buffalo Bills, shall we? I'm not sure anybody cares about this game, but, you know, we'll talk about it anyway. You slanderous tongue, you. Uh, the Buffalo Bills took on the Baltimore Ravens from Buffalo, uh, where they won by the final score of 17-3. Josh Allen, 23 of 37 for 206 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 14 of 24 for 162 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Also, Tyler Huntley, because Lamar Jackson did have to leave the game at one point, uh, six of 13 for 60 yards no touchdowns or interceptions coach your thoughts i mean the bills look good (laughs) i mean listen they had one job which was stopping lamar jackson early on you know it definitely i was a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um i mean obviously the bills offense was firing on all cylinders but it was going to be stopping lamar jackson and they eventually started doing that and held him the field goals you know i mean talk about stopping and bending not breaking Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what the bills defense needs to do going into next week Ben, don't break. Yeah. Just don't let them score touchdowns. And if you do, you got to come right back on the next drive and and, and score. Uh, my alarming thing is the Bills ran 40 straight pass plays. <laughs> I mean, it was like yeah. 20. It was legitimately like 28 straight passing calls. Yeah. Which I, is a little nerve-wracking when you're talking about maybe deflating the ball just a little bit so you can limit Kansas City. But, I mean... It works. I have my thoughts on that, but I'll let Pad jump in. No, you go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> my thoughts on that is I agree with you, Coach. I was very alarmed by the play calling a dabble. And I understand what the announcers were saying on the game, but I thought it was a little bit of a stretch. Because what their argument was is, well, the Bills saw what they did to the Ravens did to Travis or uh, Derrick Henry last week. Right. So we don't want any kind of running plays against them because they'll just get shut down. I mean, sure. I mean, that makes a little bit of sense logic, because the logic checks out. But the logic checks, but it's also a difference of the Bills 
do not exactly have the best running. Right. Well, that's Devin Singletary and TJ Eldon. No disrespect to either of you, but you're not Derrick Henry. I mean, that's playing to your weakness or playing to a strength. They know they don't run the ball very well. So why? They know they know they don't run the ball well. And and yeah, Baltimore shut down one of, if not the best running back in the league right now. Mm -hmm. We ain't got two guys who combined don't come near his talent. Why the fuck are we going to try it? But I think the point is you have to try keeping the defense honest. Well, I mean, I tweeted that, Mm -hmm. you know, because uh, as the game went on, they were still running play action, and I'm like, "How is this gonna work? Exactly. Like, you can't run play action when you know, like, when you've ran the ball a grand total of 16 times, but Baltimore's linebackers were still biting." And I'm like, "That's when I said the tweet. Like, the only the thing that I learned from this game the most is you do not have to have a successful run game to run play action. Yeah, because unless unless Baltimore's biggest thing was and their defensive coordinator is like, we need to stop the run." Like, if that was their commitment to stop the run and their linebackers just bid on fakes because that's what they practice, dumb on them. But if it's not and they, you know, they were just trying to commit to stopping the run, then you don't need a run game. Yeah, it was just kind of a little puzzling about that. I thought Dabble should have switched it up a little. Like, not nothing super crazy, but exactly what you're touching about. Yeah, now you sound like bar guy. I know. Easy. Yeah, they don't need to run the ball. Let them keep throwing, all right? Well... I had no issue with it, but I'm just saying for going down the the rest of the playoffs, I think the Bills have to try mixing it in a little bit. I like I said, I wasn't. I'm not a full bar guy that was like, like screaming the the world is ending. Going into this, going into Kansas City, mm-hmm. all right. Obviously, an away game. Kansas City has a very good secondary. Yeah, I think, and I mean, Patrick Mahomes will and will play. Um, you got it. Yeah, you got to keep them off the field, and the way to do that is to to run the ball. Yeah, You're like you got to control clock. It's going to be a challenge because Singletary is not the every down back. He isn't. He's a good change of pace back. I like him. I like him catching out of the backfield. Uh, that's where I think he he really makes his well bread Yeld- and butter there. Yeldon ran hard. Yeldon ran hard, but I think that they are definitely going to miss Zach Moss because I think he was a harder runner. Well, yeah, yeah. Like that's the problem. I think Yeldon will get you those yards, but he's not that that grind back that. Moss was, and I know that what Devon, Devontae, Devontae Freeman, Freeman was supposed to has not cleared yet, or I don't know what's going on. Well, there. the COVID protocol, I think, for the NFL, like basically okay. meant because they signed him, I think on Monday was essentially like there was no chance of him playing this game, but oh, because it was Saturday. Okay, that yeah. makes that makes sense. It, that, yeah, yeah, coach has got a point because if the game would have been Sunday, I think he'd have been good. Yeah, I think yeah. he would have been able to play. That was the thing. I wasn't exactly sure because I, I don't. Yeah, there's there's something no, there's like something there's the something about period and all that jazz. There's something about and I forget the exact wordage, but it's like there's a certain number of days that a new guy has to be with a team, and it it, it entails to like how when your game is. So it's if, like seven days. If the game would have been on Sunday, he probably would have been good, but because it was Saturday, it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, okay, that make, that makes more sense because I wasn't sure if, like if he was pre quarantine, like if he was yeah. you know no. you know isolated away, would they you know give a waiver, whatever the case is. But I think when him being on that team on Saturday, I think will be a next factor for. Yeah, him. he ran pretty hard for the Giants. I mean, mm. I when they signed him, you know, I kind of got a laugh because I was a Wayne pro Wayne Gallman guy, so I was like, you know, what do you really need to sign Devontae Freeman for? But I mean, the brief uh, games that he was there, I think, you know, before he got hurt himself, which was like three or four, he ran the ball hard. Yeah, he'll be an adequate back the, for what they need him for. You know what they could have used and would have probably hoped for was if the Giants would have not have signed Alfred Morris because mm-hmm. he was running the ball 
real hard. Yeah, he was he was very motivated. Fre- Freeman showed some moments of like old Atlanta Freeman, you know, with the Giants, but like few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alfred Morris was making holes when there weren't any. Well, I think what the Bills are going to need is going into the AFC Championship. They're going to need the best out of everybody to win this game. And they're they're going to need to play a damn near perfect game. Exactly. And I think that they have the ability to do that, but they got to have a little balance on that offense just to keep Kansas City honest because they don't necessarily need to run a lot. I beg to differ. I think the Bills could play a – I think the Bills can play the game they've been playing. Yeah. I Right now, Kansas City is not – I mean, is Tyreek Hill a dynamic playmaker? 100%. Is Travis Kelsey, you know, the greatest tight end to ever play tight end? Sure. Sammy Watkins a threat? Harden? Hardman? Yeah, sure. Andy Reid, balls of steel when it comes to play Fuck, calling. I know. We'll get but, like, are they really playing the best football they've played? No. No. No, and I think the Bills can definitely hang with them. I know yeah. that when they faced them in the beginning of the year, they almost beat them. And then, granted, that was a sloppy game, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, they looked like – I so, did not think the Bills played well that right, game. Right, no, they didn't. They played absolutely horrible. So to see them now get that rematch coming up, they are not the same team. I think that they'll have a better performance. The only thing that scares me is can Leslie Frazier design a defense to shut down Travis Kelsey? Oh, because Jesus he hasn't Christ. shown me how he can slow down a tight end in this playoffs to begin with. Hey, welcome to being a Giants fan where Jason Witten, Zach Ertz dominated the Giants for five straight, like, six straight years. He's given Belichick fits, and that's when we had our defensive players. Yeah, yeah so that being said, if Yeah, you, but I don't you that's the thing though. Don't shut him down. <laughs> you don't you let him get his stuff. You know, it's the old Kobe or Shaq thing. Can you stop both Kobe and Shaq? No. But if you stop one and let the other one go off for 60, now you have a better chance of winning the game because Shaq might only get 15 or 20 points. Mm -hmm. Kobe might get 60. That's 80. You know, if you limit the other, the the team, you know, the rest of the players, you're all right. So Travis Kelsey goes off for a hundred yards, but you hold the wide receivers. You might be successful. It, and without their run game, without um, the rookie, who yeah. I will not say his name because I'm going to get it wrong, um, if they if he can't play, which I don't think he will, and, and playoff Williams, uh, playoff Dar- Daryl shows up, mm-hmm. you know, that might be a problem, but I'm not worried about their run game. No, I would not necessarily be too worried about their run game because they mirror the Bills a lot in their offense. Sure. So I'm expect- or do the Bills mirror the Chiefs. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, no, boy, what came way. first here? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's copying the Chiefs. Yeah, all right. I, I will admit that. I'm all not right. saying the Bills wrote the book on it. <laughs> but I think what's going to be very interesting to see is how the Bills are going to match up because they did take on a very durable Baltimore defense. And that first half. Well, Baltimore defense that have been playing had been rampant. You yeah. know, they've been building up going into this game. Yeah, they say cuz you I looked at the stats for the regular season, they were not anything special. Dude, they, no, that no. New England game, they were so bad. Because yeah. I looked it up, they were 6th uh they were they were about 6th best, you know, in the league in terms of uh passing yards allowed per game, which was still like 4. They looked something. terrible against yeah. New England. Mm-hmm. I thought after that New England game, that's when I was like this thing's unraveling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, they turned it around after that, but they, that was, I thought, the start of the end. Well, for the Ravens, though, they did get better as the season went on defensively, and they finally let Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson, which he is not a pocket quarterback. Sure. So the fact that we got him to be a running quarterback, that's what led to their success. Well, it's all about – so it's so weird with him because it's a twofold thing that I've seen because um, the Giants did this against Russell Wilson, who obviously mm-hmm. is not – the most mobile compared to Lamar Jackson. But, it, you know, if you take your two defensive tackles 
and you just kind of let one push the pocket back and have your DNs run upfield but contain, mm-hmm. you know, you really limit his ability. And then maybe a blitzer or a stunt or a twist, you know, whatever. Like you do something like that to confuse the offensive line to let there be pressure. Mm-hmm. If you do those things, you're going to be successful against that guy. But once you bring contain, once that defensive tackle gets out of position as far as pushing and tries to pursue, mm-hmm. that's when he breaks it and goes. Yeah. And that's what I saw. The the one run that he had was what happened. He broke contain and was able to get outside the defensive end in Buffalo and run for, you know, some yardage. Yeah. Once the team got the both teams got in the second half, they started getting a little more free about what they were doing. I mean, obviously Justin Tucker has his worst kicking game Yo, in history. Nuts. Every yeah. time somebody says Al oh, Michaels. Justin, yeah. Every yeah. time and it's not just Al Michaels, Nance I know Nance has done it yeah, countless Nance times. Nance has done it thousands where of times. Where they go, Oh, Justin Tucker never misses a kick. Jinx misses yeah. it. Yeah, which I mean, both. But Dick move, yeah. you know, by Michaels to do that. I mean, not only did he cause the double doink, but now he causes you know Justin Tucker to have the worst game of his life. Yeah, it that's was, not cool. It, it was a bad jinx, and both kickers looked absolutely atrocious. Well, like I, I very, well, I very yeah. vividly remember playoff game in New England against Baltimore, where Baltimore could have won it, and and Jim Nance goes, "Oh, yeah, this should be Tucker should make this. He never misses, and you know, wide left." I mean, to be fair, his bass looked. Good all year? No, yeah. <laughs> no. no, the better question is, has Ken been able to watch a Bass extra point all year? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> he, he, hey, listen, I get it. I know this for a fact. I've watched games with him where he will look away or look at his phone when Bass is going to kick a ball. Yeah, I had him. I picked him up week one to fantasy because I was playing Darnold mm-hmm. or Josh Allen in my fan, in fantasy, you know, in our league. And I was like, all right. And I saw Buffalo scoring touchdowns, and I'm seeing him with one point. I'm like, Buffalo has 34 points. Where the why does he have one field goal made? And you know what the scary thing is? He was like the season high scorer this year. Yeah, but that's such bullshit. I, I like know the but, whole, but, that whole thing. But in all consideration, like for where he should be in that list, can we also give a moment for of positivity here and just Stefan Diggs? How fun is he to watch football? He play is football. Am, he is amazing. To Isn't watch he football. not just? Him and Josh Allen, I know the whole, oh, they played, you know, warfare together and they were on the Xbox, whatever, building rapport. Like, cool. Like, but the connection that they have is like, is Steve Young to Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is beautiful. Yeah. It is, they that one deep ball that they missed on when he just out threw him, I was, God damn. I yeah. mean, to out-throw Stefan Diggs is hell of impressive. No, the Bills would not be anywhere near this level if Diggs was not on the team. No, hell no. Greatest trade in the last five years, I would say. I will give you that. And just kind of wrap up about the Bills, I thought they did a very classy move, Bills Mafia, which Lamar Jackson unfortunately did get hurt in this game. Sure. And then after the game, the Bills Mafia has been donating to his charity. $290,000. Well, he stayed after and signed autographs right. even for Bills fans. Yeah. Listen, don't take – I mean, Lamar Jackson's a great guy. Like, I, Absolutely. I, I mean, I know, like, he'll get ridiculed and everything for the playoff success or lack thereof right now, but, like, the dude off the field is top shelf. He's top shelf off the field, and you know what? He has been put in some situations that have been tough for any quarterback to yeah. go into. I mean, and shit, look at his wide receiver core. You exactly. have Des Bryant as your number two. Flip like, the, come on. Flip it this way. If Stefan Diggs was on Fuck. Baltimore's team, whole different ballgame. Yeah. So if I'm the Ravens, I'm going to get a number one, even if I got to mortgage the farm and move I, off the draft. I don't. Look at. Let's talk about the four teams that are still in the playoffs and talk about who they have at wide receivers. I've said it all year. You have to have a elite wide receiver to be successful. Mm-hmm. Adams, yep, 
Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. Diggs, mm-hmm. Mike Evans. Yeah. And Tampa Bay has Godwin, too. So, I mean, they've got bonus. Because they've got two. They've got a lot of They've moving. got like four. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Antonio Brown's been kind of a shell this year. But, I mean, Godwin has been inconsistent, but, like, is still a top, I don't know, probably 15. Consistent enough for my fantasy team. Yeah, yeah. I would say top 20. Top, all right, I'll top 20. So, top, he's still a top 20 wide receiver. But, I mean, of those four that are in it, are they arguably not the four best wide receivers in the game? It's a great argument. No, I, 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 I'm not faulting you. Right. On that. I'm just like. Well, I know you're not because yeah. it's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, that's because I mean, unless you swap in, like, if DeAndre yeah. Hopkins was still in there. Okay, yeah, like, you could put him up there. You could also put Julio Jones. I would, yeah. I would, and that discussion would be there. But and no. Mike Thomas, you know, and, and Michael Thomas in uh, uh, New Orleans. But like, yeah, you can. I def- mean, you can definitely the, throw, number, the numbers are there. The numbers are there, so you can definitely throw that in. But Diggs has had the biggest impact by far and away mm. on, on anybody. I mean, it makes me literally. Just so angry that the Giants traded Odell for a bag of popcorn. Yeah, and that obviously and has not worked out the favor. I'm just kidding. They got Jabril Peppers, and he's played well, and so is Zelter at guard. But he's played well, but to only get one. Because how many first round picks did the Bills trade? Didn't they give up a first this up year two. and next year? Yeah, they gave up two. And the Giants gave up only got one from Cleveland. They should have held them at a king's ransom. But. Sometimes that's oh. how it goes in the in the land of the NFL. So the Bills are moving forward. The, Ra- the Ravens, unfortunately, are in the offseason, but they'll be back. So let us flip it to Sunday, and let's talk about those Cleveland Browns, shall we? Sure. Yeah. Probably the most controversial game of the week. Pro- more than likely, yeah. So the Kansas City Chiefs took on the Cleveland Browns uh, in Kansas City, where the Chiefs won by the final score of 22-17. to 17. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 21 of 30 for 255 yards. Yeah, passing. I'm not worried about him. What, what about the real quarterback stat of Kansas City? One touchdown, no interception. Uh, also, Chad Henney, uh, who came in because Patrick Mahomes did leave because of concussion protocol. The man. Uh, six of eight for 66 yards, no touchdowns, or one Chad interception. Chad Henney. Baby. On the flip side, uh, for Cleveland, Baker Mayfield, 23 of 37 for 204 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Now, before anybody else jumps in, I do want to point out, because a lot of people are asking, what the hell is going on with Patrick Mahomes? Will he be able to play Sunday? Possibly. Uh, reading from an article on ESPN.com where it details the steps for COVID protocol. Uh, quote, the first thing you should know is that prior to this season, every NFL player takes neurological and balancing tests when in a non-injured state to provide a normal score. Those results can later be used to help diagnose a concussion and to determine when a player's neurological activity and balance has returned to its previous state following a brain injury. The five steps are step one. Based on symptoms, the player can engage in light stretching, balance training, and eventually progress to light aerobic exercise. Step two, the player can graduate toward cardiovascular exercise and dynamic stretching and then take neurological and balance tests. He can pass through this step once those test results match his baseline scores. Step three, the player can move toward a limited amount of football-specific exercise. That includes up to 30 minutes of practice time under the supervision of an athletic trainer. Step four, uh, football activities can increase to non-contact drills, such as throwing and running. Another set of tests must again show baseline results. And finally, step five, this requires the team doctor to clear the player for contact. Once that happens, the player must be examined by an independent neurological consultant. Uh, If that consultant affirms the team doctor's decision. The player is cleared to practice full and play in the team's next game. Close quote. Step six, Patrick Mahomes is playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and for record, and I know I put this on Twitter, I hope he does. I don't want that game to have any kind of asterisks on it. And listen, I, I and I was in a heated debate with all my uh, coworkers and everything today. Uh, don't matter. <laughs> Chad Henney, Patrick Mahomes, 
Who cares? A win is a win. You so know what I mean? was looking pretty cut. Listen, good. I, I celebrate the Notre Dame win over Clemson, whether uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence played or not. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? A win is a win. It's the general manager's job to find players. Yep. It is the coaching staff's job to coach those players. And it is the, quarter, it is the, the players' jobs to be successful. And I know Patrick Mahomes is an elite talent that arguably, you know, Patrick, uh, Chad Henney can never be. But it is Andy Reid's job because that is what the general manager put in front of him to coach up. So if they go in with Chad Henney and the Bills win, there is no asterisk because the f- injuries are a part of football. It is what it is, yeah. dog. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you got to get. I think you got to give some credit to the front office staff, the GM, the coaches, you know, and everybody who in, deci- in decisions of putting players and drafting players and putting them there. Because once Mahomes went down, I sat there and I went, "Well, sh- hey, shit, it's a good thing uh, Kansas City scored on their first four drives." Yeah, you know, no punts, literally all touchdowns. Uh, you know, it was a good thing Kansas City went up when they did, and I said, "Well, we'll see how this goes." But then Henny comes out of the, out there, you know. Now Henny, journeyman quarterback, he's been well, Christ, was it five, six teams? Mm. You know, never anything stellar, never anything that's like, "Holy shit, this guy's got to be you know top vote getter for the Pro Bowl." But goddamn, if they didn't make if that line and those receivers make him look good, well, yeah, exactly. But what I was just saying is because yeah. I know that fans were immediately jumping in and saying, "Oh, well, Mahomes is out, Bills has got this." I'm like, no. Well, that take is wrong. Yeah, that take is wrong. But to say that this has an asterisk on it just because the Bills win with Mahomes out, that's doing disservice well, that, to the Bills. Well, that's the whole thing. It's yeah. just everybody has been jumping on like that was the headline coming out of this, and it's like, no, whatever's going to happen Sunday is going to happen Sunday, right? So we just have to show up and play the game, and I just don't exactly. want any asterisks. I don't want any excuses. Listen, if we get our asses kicked by Kansas City, hey, the better team won. Right. If we wind up winning, we won. Right. And if you win with with or without Mahomes, you yeah. still won the game. Yeah. There is no god. There is no asterisk. Well, I mean, but to go in and say you're going to win just because Henny's in, Mahomes yeah. out, that's the dumb call I because agree. that's yeah. when they sneak up and get you. Yeah. Well, and you got to think too. Uh, Mahomes is 25 years old. Uh, he turned 25 back in September. We'll hypothetically go through these these steps. Okay, step one, you know, asterisk, he gets through it. Uh, you know, realistically, he knows the plays. He knows what they're going to do. He can sit there and, and be and figure out, all right, this is what the game plan is, this is what we're going to do. It's not like he has to go out there and play. He knows the playbook. He knows what they're going to do. He knows, okay, when, it, we, when we go to run this play, I got to look for this guy. Yeah. It's not a, exactly reinventing the wheel. No, no the scary it, thing is how he got the concussion because yeah. that was a very not – I mean, from the angles that they showed and when I was trying to watch, I mean, the only point of impact that I really saw of his head, you know, a rattle, was when uh, his his helmet, the crown, like the very, very crown of it, hit the defender's head. Uh, on the way down, but that was really the only point of contact because when you looked at it, I thought it hit the ground at first and the ground caused it, but then when you watch the replay, his head wasn't wasn't down, so I don't I don't think it was the ground that caused it. A few sites I've been looking at just trying to get more information about this yeah. is they're saying it's not exactly a traditional concussion. Mm. It's more like a stinger that you get in pro wrestling. Oh, I got it. Yeah. That because the way that he got bulldog tackled, it was you know, how the defender had his head right, it had wrapped, it wrapped up. up. Yeah, they're saying that that's what caused it, uh-huh. and they said that it's not exactly him hitting the ground. 
but it was a it's some kind of nerve issue oh, that's causing it. Yeah. Because so, I mean, yeah, I he he looked he got up and was not. Yeah, he was. He looked like he was about twenty but, beers deep. Yeah, he didn't because it didn't look like he was like the concussed. Like where am right. I concussed? It looked the because, I can't you know yeah. stabilize my legs. Because yeah. you even heard Romo on the call go, "Oh, look at his eyes. Let's see his eyes." And I'm watching. I'm like, I don't see anything in the eyes other than he just looks like a holy shit that hurt. Right. Yeah. So that's the I can't get say that's like the official thing, but from a few sites I've seen that that is what they're saying. It's not necessarily a traditional concussion okay it's like a that seems it's, it's a nerve neck issue that is basically throwing his equilibrium off is kind of the rough idea from what i'm getting see, I th- see that i think plays out because you think of when he got went to get up and it was literally like he's you know a drunk college student yeah right where he got up and he just like couldn't find his balance at all so that mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah because obviously that entire game Cleveland showed up and was playing a very physical style ball. I'll say the old Cleveland of, well, we don't know if they'll show up and play. Uh, They're gone. Cleveland's here to play. No, they definitely showed up. And obviously with Kansas City, we knew what we were expecting from Mahomes and company. We we knew that Mahomes Three weeks off. Christ almighty. Yeah. I mean, they showed the graphic during the game of Andy Reid in Kansas City and what the scores have been like after he's had time off. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, the crazy thing is I was watching ESPN and their bet guys. And they had a stat where teams that have had a first-round buy that uh, sat their players on Week 17 are like 0 for 14 against the spread going into that game. Mm-hmm. So, like, to, I mean, you knew can't you? I mean, first off, you knew Cleveland was going to come out and play because oh, they've yeah. been playing the best football yeah. of their you know season. Yeah, absolutely. And um, not to mention the fact that. You know, Kansas City is not known as being a great run-stopping team. I mean, no, that's how old, no. that's how the Raiders were able to beat them by you know featuring their run game. So, uh, you know, and Josh Jacobs. So it's like, uh, what was Cleveland going to do? Right. But run the ball down with uh, the law firm there of Hunt and uh, Chubbs. Chubbs, yeah, yeah Chubbs I mean, and Hunt. You got to give Cleveland their due. Uh, this was their first winning season since 2007, which snapped the longest drought in the NFL. This was their first playoff berth since 2002, which was, again, the longest drought in the NFL. Uh, this was their first playoff win since 1994. And also, uh, their 11 regular season wins and 12 total wins marked the, first, uh, marked the most since 1994. It was absolutely wild, but even though it was a lot of success, the Cleveland Kurtz came into effect with that last minute oh of the God. first half oh my touchdown God. that was called back by Higgins because yeah. he, took a, he took a helmet-to-helmet shot. Yeah, um, Sutton, Sutton tells me that rule is going to get looked at in the offseason. Well, they definitely need to because when he fumbled the ball into the end zone and went out of bounds, that is be, under the rules, it's a touchback for the opposing team. I was watching. I was watch, I was at home at my parents' house doing some laundry uh, and was watching the game and my mom was reading a book or something. And I'm sitting there and I watch I play and they – made the call and i'm like wait what the fuck just happened because yeah. i don't think i've ever seen that it's i can't remember the last time it's, it's rare happened. it's no it's, i mean it, it happens you know no no I mean? it, it does yeah. but i can't even remember the last time it's happened in in the past 10 years i mean you can hit me up at od, OD parlay hour and, and we can tweet about it sure i just don't remember seeing it and then when it happened i was like wait a sec how is this yeah. going down and then there was no flag for the hit that was even the more telling sign yeah because the referees were right there and you saw him get like leveled with that. I, I mean, I guess for me, the fumble out of bounds, you know, and it being a turnover, it's like, what do you do then? You know, because mm-hmm. you can't put the ball at the two yard line. Because I mean, the ball did cross the plane. I mean, right. do you call it like an offensive touchback 
and put it back at the twenty. You know, it's like what's I think the you good have answer? To do that. I think you. I think you would have to do that. There were a lot of weird. calls. But then, what do you do? Do you make it first and ten, or is it first and goal? You make it first and ten. There was there were a well, lot of weird weird calls in that game though, because I remember one in the second half where I think it was a Kansas City guy went and made a catch and slid backwards out of bounds, and Romo was yes. Romo was explaining the rule, and I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? There was a lot of questionable calls in it this was, game. It was so weird. On both sides of the ball. It was both. But the one that everybody is really going to focus in on is the, the touchdown that was called back. And, right. And because that was a big momentum shift. That, yeah. That was a big backbreaker for Cleveland. Albeit, though, they did fight back. Yeah. And they did get back into it. And obviously, with Mahomes going down. Oh, yeah. And then Chad Henney, of all people. And what is it about quarterbacks? They leave Miami. They suddenly find a way to play quarterback. Uh, it's what, getting away from Gase. Well, mm. either way works, which rumor has it, he's going Philly. Wait and see about that yeah. one. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, There's a, a certain offensive coordinator up in the Northeast that had an eight-hour interview with him. Hmm. Uh, goes by the name of uh, McDaniel's. Yeah, true story. And their special—I've heard their like, special teams coach too. Like I had an interview. The 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 uh, NFC the the game between Tampa Bay and New Orleans was still going on, and it was like and they were eight hours deep. Yeah, in interviewing. So he ain't gonna take that yeah. job. Yeah, that's, yeah he, that's. I don't know. Eight hour interview makes me sweat a little bit. Well, I mean, I think he's just kind of pushing the point with uh, Kraft. But I mean, we we can save that talk for another time. Sure. But with this game though, Chad Henney comes in. And leads the team down the field. I mean, granted, he threw one egregious interception, yeah. which, which watching the replay a couple of times, his wide receiver broke route. Right. Yeah. So that's what led it. Because I remember getting on Twitter, I'm like, where is he throwing? Because especially when you got the lead late. I mean, was it a, a, a route break or was it maybe an option route that, you know, the wide receiver saw one way and Henny saw another? Either way, it, kind of, it looked like he stopped and then he tried going back to get back in routes. Yeah, and pro- then, uh, well, probably then it was an yeah, option cause, route. because there was nobody in sight. Yeah. But for Cleveland, though, they could not get the ball no. and, and drive down the field. Like, they just, the magic ran out. And for Kansas City... And Andy Reid to call oh one of the God. ballsiest plays. Facts. Fucking stones. Yeah. A shotgun. And the and the, everybody thought, like, okay, they're going for the delay of game. Even Romo was saying, oh, they're going to try and call him off sides and then call yeah. a time because they had, like, one, two timeouts left. Mm-hmm. Romo's going, to say, again, no Romo. You figure he's got, he, he was calling plays in the Super Bowl. You know, he's like, oh, going, oh, yeah, no, they're, you look at the, look at the body language of the defense. They know they're not going to call anything. And you're like, I'm saying, oh, yeah, oh no, that that checks out. Nope, fake. We're we're actually uh, running a play. Yeah. I'm, well, first off, let's uh, the Chad Penny or Chad Henny running it for the for the go for it for yeah. the oh my god the first first down and you know diving head first and everything that started this play of his career. Yeah, man. I mean, I thought he had it. I thought you know credit to uh, my wife who was like, no, I think his elbow was down. And I'm like, no way, the ball like yeah. he's it's a first down. Like there's no way. And then, you know, they show the replay and his elbow's down. And I'm like, oh, no, like, you got punt. You yeah, have that's to punt. I th- that's what I thought they had to get Like, you got to play defense. You can't, you cannot give the ball. I mean, what was that, like the 43? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't give the ball up there. And then, you know, to make the play call to pass the ball. Yeah, stones. Fuck. Stones. I... And what a great designed play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant. Because Cleveland was so focused, they they had no idea what was going on. And then Andy Reid just slides that in, and then all he Tyreek Hill just get there and just immediately stay in bounds and go down. Brilliant. I yeah. Mean, well, I mean, yeah, that's just that's next level thought. You yeah. know. So I mean, that's why Kansas City is moving on. But Cleveland has nothing to hang their head about. I mean, no, that's, that's no, a big absolutely. Take. I don't think anybody is feeling that way yeah. coming out of this. I mean, we all 
like you just you weren't going to win that game. You know, I mean, there's yeah. no way. Yeah, it was just one of those things that they gave him a fight, and obviously the Browns are contenders, but Kansas City is moving on. And like I say, now we have Buffalo traveling to Kansas City. I know the headline, like I touched upon earlier, is going to be is Mahomes going to play, but it doesn't matter. We just got to get on the field, and whatever the chips are going to fall, Facts. they're going to fall. And like I say, I don't want to hear anybody say about an asterisk talk. I don't want to hear anything Same. about that. Same. So another game that is not going to have an asterisk talk, but a fond farewell for one player in my opinion, Pad. Yeah, so that was the last game of the weekend uh, between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New Orleans Saints, uh, which took place on History Channel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but, <laughs> no, but in all reality, the quarterbacks are combined like 85 years old. Uh, Tampa Bay beat New Orleans by the final score of 30-20. to 20. Uh, Tom Brady, 18-33 of 33 for 199 yards passing. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Drew Brees, 19-34 of 34 for 134 yards passing. One touchdown, three interceptions. I, I've come to the realization, uh, and I've accepted this, and it was not easy to do. Uh, Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. It's just facts. You know. You can't. You can't. Go ahead. Because we we had this debate at work, and you just you you're wrong. I I say he is the one B now with Montana. No, he is it. He's been to an a title game in every every season but one. And that that's was the year he blew, that was the year he blew his knee out. Right. That was that's nineteen years of making it to an AFC title game. Then I stand corrected, Coach. I, I listen. It wasn't easy to do. It's not an easy pill to swallow because I was on. I was with you. I was. I was uh, Montana mm-hmm. and Manning. And I mean, I, honestly, I think Manning is uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I mean, uh, Super Bowls aside, because it's a team game, so you don't single handedly win a championship. Yeah. But when you look at the body of work, you can't argue it. Brady's definitely the greatest of all time, but. I don't th- I don't think he would have won this game for a couple of factors. A, if his defense hadn't played as good as they did, injured Breeze's arm hadn't fallen off in uh, down in the, the French Quarter of uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the you know watching this entire game, it didn't dawn at first. I didn't think anything of it just because I'm thinking, all right, he's got respect for their secondary. He doesn't really want to test it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But as the game went on and on and on and on and on that he wasn't fucking throwing anything further than five yards the entire game. What did I say last week? And you and you look. No, you did, Coach. <laughs> you know, he averaged 3.9 yards per pass. The longest uh, catch of the game was Traquan Smith at 56 yards, but that wasn't Breeze. That was off the trick play where Jameis Winston threw the damn ball. The real goat. After that, longest pass was 16 yards to Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, after the second longest was 13 to Ty Montgomery. Then you got nine, eight uh, yards to was the longest to Jared Cook. Alvin Kamara was nine, uh, and then after that, it's a whole bunch of zeros and negatives. You know, it dawned on me that just the arm has fallen off. Dude, he, he can't throw the ball. He can't. Yeah. It's it's can't it's worse than Rivers. No, you're yeah. absolutely right. That's what I said. Hey. And it was sad pew, to see. Pew, pew. Who said that last week? It no. was sad to see. It's very sad to see, and especially another big telling stat line: Michael Thomas. Zero, Zero catches, catches, four targets. Yeah, but Zero. that's that. I mean, that's part Tampa Bay's defense oh. making sure they take him away. Oh, they, I mean, they took out the biggest weapon, and plus, Kamara did not have a great game. No, no. But, I mean, when you f- can focus on stopping the run and, and stop limiting Thomas's, you know, uh, openness, I guess, yeah. and then force Drew Brees to have to make plays. Right. Yeah. And back, but back to my point. Yes, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. But for this game, if it weren't for the fact that his defense recovered the ball three times off interceptions and put him on the other side of the 50, yeah. 
might have been a whole different story because I think at one point they said uh, Tampa Bay had like 14 points off turnovers. Yeah, but I mean the the tell like New Orleans was driving at one point. Had they have scored a touchdown, it would have been like a seven point game. Yeah. instead of a 14 point game. But that's irrelevant to the the what Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Oh, and absolutely. It was not easy to swallow that pill. I know that Drew Brees statistically has some better numbers, like they're one, two in most things. Mm. But like the body of work, it's just Tom Brady. But you know the the Drew Brees thing to touch on that. It's yeah, it's tough. I, and, I mean, that's I, heartbreaking. I got it's, a I got a buddy who's an Indianapolis Colts fan, lifelong diehard Indianapolis Colts fan. Cannot stand Tom Brady. For, sure. for anything. Sure. Uh, last night on Twitter said, well, I guess he goes, I can't believe I'm saying this, but yeah. it looks like Tom Brady's not a system quarterback and he's just a great quarterback. Yep. I felt that pain. Cause I mean, I'm not the, the, uh, that stereotypical sure. anti new England guy, sure. because mm-hmm. I don't give a shit because they're not in the giants division, but like, I never wanted to admit that he was the best because I always viewed Manning and Montana as one and one a, but I mean, after this game, seeing the body of work this season, you know, he took a two and fourteen team with a Jameis Winston and flipped, you know, flipped him to a you know ten and six team that's 11 now and eleven and five that's now playing for the NFC title game. It's pretty damn good, you know. I mean, and this defense was not great all year. It was definitely inconsistent, you know, oh, some yeah. ups and downs. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, was this low hanging fruit against the Saint team? Well, that one can debate that because the Saints beat them twice. Yeah, so well, that's that's the whole point is for Brady and company to come in there and do what they did in the home turf of New Orleans, and they really took that offense down a peg with fans in attendance. I think for the first time all year, right? It's a truly telling sign. And for me, I've always said Montana is number one. Like that's sure for me because I know what he did and kind of established the quarterback legacy that is what it is now. Brady's the one who's taken the baton and ran with it. And obviously, this season's big headline with him is can he do it without Belichick? He's done yep. it in a in a weird sense. He's it's like the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. I was just going to say the same thing because yeah. I think he's doing this to just say f you, Bruce Arians. Could I, be. I think could be. I more so than Belichick now because I think that as much as that's a headline, Belichick really never had anything much to do with the offense. That was all McDaniel's. Exactly. I, I like I say I don't think it, it's it's so much a, a shot to New England because I I just think that Brady wanted just to prove it to everybody else that he is a good quarterback and he's a great quarterback. I mean, I will always give the devil his due. And it's just kind of weird to sit here and realize, as Coach pointed out, the stat about how many championship games he's been in, let alone the Super Bowl wins. Like that, to me, is just so surreal because we obviously see him in New England, and that's what was synonymous with, to go to Tampa Bay. Sure. Which, let's face it, mediocre at best until this season, and he's been able to bring something out of that wide receiver core that nobody else has. Yeah, I mean, I just the debate you know we had at work was you know is Drew Brees or Tom Brady better, and it was like well you know the, the one side was well look at the the weapons that Tom Brady had over the course of his careers. The other side was look at the weapons Drew Brees, and it's like when you look at player for player wise, you know Drew Brees obviously had the yeah, better, better weapons. weapons. You yeah, know, I mean, so if you're going for stats, Brees, but if you're going for a win, Brady, right. And I mean, when you and when you look at those, like, yeah, all right, Randy Moss, sure, sure. But then the argument was, all right, Julian Edelman, okay. Well, what did Julian Edelman do after he left New England? I was injured all year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't have a great success. Uh, didn't play. I think. Played, I think he played. I think, I think you're meaning Wes Walker. No, Julian Edelman. I think had a year with the Jets. No, no, oh, no. not Carolina. 
No. All right, fuck it. Then Wes Welker had it a couple years in Denver. Yeah. Did not play very well in Denver and eventually got cut. Um, so, I mean, it's like, look at the players that after they leave Tom Amendola, Brady. Amendola was yeah. another one. Yeah. Look at the I players think. that happen when they leave Tom Brady. Yeah. They don't play as well. They fall off. Yeah. Look at what, I mean, players that left New Orleans still had successful careers in the second half of their, you know, years. Edelman didn't have any great shakes this year, but he was out almost all year with a busted knee. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, to, to me, it's like, it's Tom Brady who made and elevated those players. Mm. And it's Drew Brees who was, you know, with great talent. So, I don't know. I just, you know, and, and flip it on to New Orleans, you know, it, it another telling stat was, He's been. They've won sixty nine or seventy games, something like that, and have one Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I think it's 49. 49. 49. 49. and they have one Super Bowl win. Which, now, which okay, is the, which is the most for any team in that span, and like that span, you know, not just those years, but like in a four year span, and only have one Super Bowl. And I mean, they've been robbed. You know, like that's yeah. no oh, yeah. question that you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously that pass, the fan pass interference mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't called against the Rams is completely egregious, and we all you yeah, know we all know that one, opt on that. Um, but outside of that, you know, one Super Bowl. Well, I think one glaring thing that you have to realize with New Orleans since Breeze has been there, they've ha- always had a phenomenal offense. Right. Their defense has not been consistent the entire legacy of him. So I will say that up until the point where they got, um, and oh my God, Spagnola. Mm-hmm. Spagnola started the turnaround because the defense the last for the the years that they've won, yeah, have been their defense has been middle of the pack to upper elite, yeah. you know, and that was started with Spagnola being brought over after his uh, job with the Rams. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the beginning part of that, the offense was absolutely fire, yeah, but they couldn't stop a peewee football team. Mm-hmm. So I will agree on that for a little bit. Yeah, that's what I say. If you want to do the comparison there. That's where Breeze really excelled as. Like he, for him to come to New Orleans, I mean, this is his legacy. And that was a risk. It was a huge risk at the time. Remember, because he was having the elbow issues, well, shoulder, 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 yeah. issues, shoulder. He just came off major shoulder surgery. Yeah, yeah to the point where they like reconstructed it. Like, uh-huh. It was gone. And it was either him or Dante Culpepper going to Miami. Yep. And then Miami, thank God, passed on him. And then New Orleans said, we'll take a shot on you. Yeah, but, I mean, would his career have been the same in Miami? Fuck no. Exactly. No, no it wouldn't because he got with Sean Payton, and they completely turned that whole franchise around yep. where it used to be a laughing stock into now it's a perennial contender. And, obviously, he's he's going to leave it because I'm, I'm fully convinced that he's done after he this. He can't. I, yeah, I, I think it's partially just what we saw during this game, but I also think the 11 broken ribs yeah. and the deflated lung really kind of go, mm, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I know, I know Jake Glazer announced before the game that it was he was, yeah. was going to be his he, last one. You can't If you can't throw the ball more than five yards, you can't play quarterback yeah. anymore. And I think that as tough as a pill is at the swallow, he is a sure ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, first ballot. First ballot, not even question. Sure. And for what he's done for a franchise and is his legacy. City. Yeah, exactly. He really made New Orleans into a football town. Yeah. Like, you got to remember, just let that sink in for a second. For what he's done, he yeah, brought them Fans in the stands with paper bags over their heads. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He has been the catalyst for that change. The Joe Horn cell phone thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what New Orleans was known for, you yeah. know? And now they're a perennial contender in that NFC South. They're in good shape when he goes now. Uh, yeah. 
I, I didn't say great, but they're. I mean, they're I, they, the quarterback position. I mean, it was a question before; it's a question now. Well, I mean, do they? You know, do you hand the reins over to Jameis Winston? Do you let that ride out? He's a free agent. You know, I mean, or Hill, or Hill. I mean, but has Hill really shown enough where you're comfortable leading? The, letting him be the, I the think, guy? I think he's been in that system long enough that I think he'd be okay. Yeah, but he can't throw the ball either. <laughs> but I think this is where you... Better see... prospects and one out there for free agents. Exactly. I think that you got to take that shot with him. I think that it's a gamble, but I think it's a safe gamble that maybe uh, if he's not the guy, you can go find somebody to be the guy. And then I, it, I mean, I, I honestly, I think... Giannis, uh, Jesus. Uh, Jameis is the right answer. I you... mean, to me, it, I think you go with the guy that can get the ball down the field to, you know, arguably one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Well, that's something they're going to have to think about now. They're going to have yeah. the time. And then, obviously, this is going to be a transition point. And then for Tom Brady, let this be the stat we close with tonight. He is one game away from hosting a home game Super Bowl. Yeah, too bad it's not going to happen. He's just He's just got to deal with the one thing he don't like, and he's said this. Yeah. cold weather mm-hmm. he, he said my old you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing but he said in an interview my old ass ain't you know he goes i'm a california kid i grew up i was born and raised in, in southern california he goes my old ass ain't going back to the northeast anymore he goes i can't deal with those winters anymore you know he's i'm gonna be an old person weather on sunday for green bay snow high of 23 degrees dude do the math if you're overseas and you're in metric and they're calling for snow is a lot of factors going to go into this championship weekend. Having having had a family member who's moved from uh, New York to Florida, you get real acclimated to that warm weather real quick. Mm-hmm. So many different headlines going into championship weekend. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about the divisional games? Let's talk about that first and then who you got for the championship games. We're going to give our picks at the end of the show. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble, and break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is Comic Book Keepers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and time to talk some basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. And since our last recording, there was a major trade that we had been talking, hinting about, has now come to fruition in the National Basketball Association. ISO, 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 ISO. Coach, are you ready to talk about Brooklyn? Fine. but let- I won't do it, though, without mentioning the Knicks are on a two-game win streak. Crown them champs. We need to point that out. Raise it to the banner, baby. Exactly. But, Pad, you got that trade? Yeah, so it, it all went down. What? Christ, what was this, Thursday? Something like that? Of yep. course, after uh, our show. After after the show air, uh, went up to air, uh, the Houston Rockets sent James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets in a four-team trade uh, that involved the Pacers and Cavaliers. Uh, the Nets and Rockets announced uh, the trade on Thursday morning. Uh, this is from an ESPN article. Brooklyn dealt Houston a package that includes guard Chris LeVere and three first-round draft picks. Uh, league sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski 
Dombrowski and Ramona Shelburne that the Rockets will trade Laver to the Indiana Pacers for Victor Oladipo. Uh, the Rockets and Pacers have not yet announced, well, they've announced it since. Uh, center Jared Allen and forward Toreen Prince uh, are headed from the Nets to the Cavaliers, while the Rockets receive Cleveland guard Dante Exum and Brooklyn forward uh Rodian's uh, Krakooks, uh, apologies if I butchered that name, Houston will also receive three unprotected first-round picks from Brooklyn in 2022, 2024, 2026, and pick swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. Uh, the Rockets also get Cleveland's 2022 first-round pick via the Milwaukee Bucks, and Houston is sending a 2023 second-round pick to the Pacers, sources told ESPN close quote. So basically, like, the next 10 years of NBA drafts are going to be all Houston Rockets picks. Yeah, it seems like that. Coach? Well, shout-out to Karis LeVert, who, during his physical with Cleveland, found a mass on his kidney, so... Hopefully, uh, you know, a speedy recovery and he's able Absolutely. to come back because yeah. he was playing really good basketball um, up until the trade, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Kevin Durant got what he wants. I mean, he went to Brooklyn because, you know, obviously he felt comfortable being a part of that organization and the, and the things that they were going to be willing to do. And part of that was bringing in Ky- uh, uh, Kyrie with him. And the other part of that was obviously, you know, requesting that they make a move for James Harden. And I know James Harden had hired um, uh, a firm, a consulting firm, to help negotiate this trade to make it happen. And by God, you know, he was able to get it done. Um, his exodus of Houston, oh, I'm not too messy. You know, yeah, to I'm not too mildly. fond of. I mean, listen, you know, and honestly, what Shaq said. I'm one. On I was point. 100% on board. On point. You know they. You know Houston traded for you. They made you a star. You know uh, they put Dwight Howard around you after you asked for it. Uh, you know they uh, built the offense around you with Mike D'Antoni. So you they, well, you wanted CP3, we got him for you. Yeah, you you wanted your boy Russ, we got him for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, on you know you couldn't make it work. So you know the organization obviously parted ways with general manager Daryl Morey and started in uh, Mike D'Antoni, and they started to think about, all right, uh, what can we do now to build this organization differently? So, you know, they trade Russell Westbrook, uh, his friend, you know, and and started to try to rebuild uh, a team uh, to maybe more compete, you know, with a West that was only getting better as they were kind of fledgling, you know, in the middle of the pack. And they made some tough decisions, you know, so... For James Harden to act the way that he did to get out, I think is is not cool. <laughs> no. I mean, I just think it's disrespectful to an organization that gave you everything. And, you know, Brooklyn, Good what luck. can you say? Yeah, I mean, listen, in the early um, early points of this uh, uh, packet or deal or trade or uh, relationship, uh, it's been symbiotic. You know, they've picked up right where they've left off from OKC. Uh, as far as you know, the connection that the two of them have, I think that D'Antoni being there is an X factor that people really aren't talking about because he can help Steve Nash a great deal. You know, with the as far as handling the egos um, and building rapport because he'll know how to put James Harden in a position to be successful. And when Kyrie comes back, I mean, honestly, uh, Kevin Durant was initiating a lot of the offense to begin with. I think that you're going to do that again. Uh, I, I, well, no, I think James Harden will now be the initiator of the offense and you're going to be able to see a lot of, uh, Kyrie off ball. And I think that's what they're going to have to do in order to assimilate him into this offense. Because if you put him with the ball back in his hands, 
I just think, I, and, and I don't want to just like say James Harden can't play with the ball like off ball. I just think he's been such a ball dominant player that that's part of the reason why the relationship didn't work with Chris Paul because he is so used to initiating the offense that when you take him away, it hurts his game. And I mean, the biggest thing of this trade was, and what people I also again don't think about is that they didn't have to repackage Shamit, yeah, which gives them depth off the bench that is desperately needed because the fact that you traded Levert, uh, Krakaris, and uh, Exum kills the depth that they had. You know, I mean, they were a three or four seed going into the year. You know, arguably could have fought for the one seed with how bad Toronto's playing, Mm. and. You know, now you get this, but you you sacrifice depth. And, I mean, the picks, the picks. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get the fact that, you know, when you project yourself as being, you know, the 27th, 28th, 29th pick in the draft, there's not a lot of value as far as what you get have to and what you have to pay those players versus drafting somebody at 30, 31, or 32. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean – if this goes wrong, you know, a la the uh, trade with the Boston Celtics, dude, you are literally setting your franchise back 10 or 7 years. 7 years. In my opinion, this is going to blow up in Brooklyn's face. Uh-huh. There is not enough basketballs in the five boroughs for these three to coexist. And I understand we are in the honeymoon phase right now, but in my opinion... You're bringing in James Harden, who, as Shaq put best, Houston made you a star. They catered to your will. They gave you everything they could, and yet you still couldn't be happy with where you were. Hmm. Why does that sound familiar? Oh, Kyrie. <sighs> I and, by, and as we were recording, is missing his seventh consecutive game tonight. I, I beg to differ just a little bit because James Harden balls. Like he, the one thing that he does do is he plays every night, doesn't ask for a day off, doesn't, no, no, doesn't ask for minute checks or or anything like that. You know, if you need to play him a stretch where, you know, it might be a a 40 minute game, you know, versus his normal 38 minute game, Mm. or, you know, you need him to go 44, he'll play, you know, like he, no questions asked, he'll ball for you. I think the problem is going to be is just, his his time in Houston was ball dominant. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, literally to the point where, you know, how uh, Pad pointed out, ISO, ISO, ISO. It was literally if the pick and roll with uh, or the pick and, uh, pick and fade with Tucker didn't work, the pick and roll with Capella didn't work, uh, you know, his drives uh, didn't create, you know, somebody coming off the corner for corner three for P.J. Tucker or uh, Green when he was there. Um, you know, or Austin River, you know, or Eric Gordon, like if those looks weren't there and he had to drive and, and it, you know, create his own look, um, he was able to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's here now, you know, is he going to be willing to defer, you know, if his look isn't there to Kevin Durant? That's the thing that I, or when Kyrie does come back. If he comes back. Right. I mean, I'm assuming that he will. I mean, but will will he defer the ball, you know, to one of those two guys? Mm. Obviously, the first game, he scored 30 points, but he also had eight assists. Yeah. And right. he deferred a lot to Kevin Durant in the early part of the game until, you know, second half when they were down, he started to take over the offense a little bit. 
That's that's what I wonder. Yeah. And just to kind of clarify where I said, if I know Stephen A. Smith was even saying he thinks Kyrie might retire, or he said something in that kind of paraphrasing a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's there's, it's just so much speculation. Yeah. You know, like you just you don't know. He apparently is is back in the Brooklyn building working on cardio. So he is the only person who knows what's going on shape. with Kyrie is Kyrie. And yeah. I don't even know if Kyrie knows. Yeah. Like yeah, I said, this, this whole story yeah. is absolutely just wild, and you're hearing all the speculation. And, and like I said, I remember Stephen A. Smith got on there, and like I said, I was paraphrasing. It's like if he comes back. Cause at this no, stage, he did. He, Stephen A. did say that he's heard inklings that this might cause him to retire. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Brooklyn is going to be in a state of flux no matter what. And mm-hmm. then you get if Kyrie yeah. does come back, sure, three talented ball players Can't take that away from him. No. But can they sit there and coexist for a long stretch? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, definitely the fans are tuning in because uh, the Yes Network, uh, which is the network here in the New York, what is it, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. Tri-Town. Tri-Town area that broadcasts the Yankees games. They also broadcast the Nets games. Mm -hmm. uh, Announced on, what is this, uh, Sunday, uh, on Twitter, quote, Yes's telecast of last evening's Magic Nets game averaged 143,000 viewers in the New York uh, DMA, nearly double. Yes, season to date average of seventy two thousand viewers. Nah, that's because they were watching Cole Anthony come home. Exactly. This, despite the fact that the telecast went up against the NFL playoff action and the Rangers Islanders game. Well, it's big box office right now because with Harden being there, and obviously had a great debut. Sure, thirty points. Yeah, game. thirty points, eight rebound or eight assists, six rebounds. Yeah, yeah. Is box office right now? Yeah. Like I say, this is the honeymoon phase. This is where you're seeing all these people suddenly come out of the woodwork saying they're Brooklyn Nets fans. Right. Right. Oh yeah, fuck! Come on, yeah. there's gonna be so many fair weather, especially with that new, uh, the retro uh, jersey. jersey that oh, you're nice. gonna see that everywhere. There's a lot of element. Those jerseys, jerseys suck. They're nice. I mean, but that, that we're gonna see maybe some more so than some of our listeners will because we're in the New York area. Mm-hmm. But it's it's gonna be akin to when you know when the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, where all of a sudden you had everybody yeah. and their goddamn mother come out. I knew a guy when I was in school. I went to school with his sister. She graduated with me. I knew her brother, her younger brother, diehard Yankees fans. I'm talking like Mike C from Horizon 607 level Yankee fan that knew everything about the team. But as soon as the Red Sox fucking won the World Series, started wearing Red Sox. Ugh, gross. You know, so so that kind of shit. But we're going to see, we're going to see that a lot. You know, depending on how this goes, if all of a sudden we're going to start seeing a lot more Brooklyn Nets. Nah, you already saw it going into this year, and yeah. now it's only going to get worse. I mean, now that everybody's going to come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, I like them oh, back in the day. Like, well, I mean, whatever. Like, yeah. you jump off the Knicks bandwagon. I don't care. There's no room for you anyway. Exactly. As this team's rebuilding, leave. But, I mean, to, to Brooklyn's credit, I mean, this was, um, you know, uh, back speaking, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, uh, the pursuit for A-Rod. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Red Sox and them yeah. going back and forth with the Texas Rangers because Philly was very much in these trade negotiations, obviously in the same division, same conference, uh, you know, and the 76ers just weren't willing to make the draft pick uh, draft picks available that the Nets were. Yeah. And credit to the Nets because they knew that, they, you know, the only way to do this to satisfy your star and, and Kevin Durant uh, and uh, P's, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, your fan base was yeah. to go out there and make this move because if you let Philly get him and you let Philly pair him with Embiid and Tobias Harris, if you know he wasn't part of the deal, which I don't, I would assume that he wasn't. That's a very scary three. Uh, Brooklyn, Philly facing each other Saturday, February sixth, seven o'clock Eastern. Yeah, 
It's something that Brooklyn went all in about. And they, well, they had to. They had to to appease their egos of their players, which you're now letting the inmates run the asylum. Like I say, this is just set up for disaster, in my opinion. Like, will they win a chip? Debatable. But it's not all the realm of thought. They're all talented enough there if they can somehow put it together. But this is a lot of egos that we've already seen not be the best about voicing their grievances, shall we say. I, listen, I, 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 I just don't want to crush James Harden too much because he played hard for that oh, time in I, Houston. And, and I will grant you that. I uh, will grant you he did play hard. Like, my, like forget the, the exodus because it was egregious, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Separate that, though, from the player that was. I Because I, Kevin Durant has shown that he can play in a system around stars. Like, he, he I honestly compare him to, like, a LeBron who's assimilated around other players. I think Kevin Durant honestly can defer the most and shouldn't. You know, like Kevin Durant does not need to say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let other guys get their looks and be okay with it," because he should take over games more, um, and he's willing to defer, which is, I think, a level like when he was in Golden State, he could have taken over games mm-hmm. and didn't. He deferred to Clay, let Steph get his. You know, even Draymond get in the offense. He didn't need to. So I think that the relationship that him and Harden will have will be fine. It will be just like when they left Oklahoma City. It's bringing Kyrie back into the fold as a point guard. Yeah. Will he be able to be off ball? Well, that's the million-dollar question when Kyrie gets back in the mix. And for right now, it looks good on paper. But long-term, I don't know. And then plus, you don't know with how Kevin Durant is going to handle with that New York media breathing down his throat about it. Yeah. That, that's the thing that with Golden State, yeah, it's a quieter, mar- it's a quieter market. It's something that... If he was having some problems with the team or anything like that, would kind of fall under the radar for the most part. Sure. But New York, especially with all eyes on those three now, I don't know how they're going to handle the magnifying glass. I mean, he's handled media in large part and in huge amount for the bulk of his career. I think the thing that's going to help him right now is no fans because it's sure. the, the fans are going to have high expectations. It's it's going to be you know the championship or bust mentality because, let's face it, when you put three players of their caliber on a team together – you should win a championship. You know whether they do right. it, whether they do or not. You know remains to be seen, but he'll do fine for right now because the fans aren't in attendance right now. So they they might go through these stretches where they're playing. You know, like a, let's just say, you know, you know, a couple days apart. You know, Boston, Philly, Toronto, Miami type of type of run where it's just one of those you know dog stretches where it's like holy shit we're going up against the upper echelon of the east here mm. and they're not playing as hot they're not scoring as much and the fans are starting to get into them a little bit the no fans they're are, gonna score you know yeah. but no they're going to those those stretches where it's you know a little bit of a slump in the you know normal circumstances the fans might be booing and they might be hearing it he can ignore that right now because there's no fans in attendance and let's face it he ain't checking social media no uh, well, Brook, well from a burner account he yeah is. from a burner no, account, brooklyn listen that. brooklyn's not going to boo this team regardless because they're so just sycophantic yes men of this team that they couldn't even name any of the players that got traded because they don't know who they are. Yeah. My the thing is is that uh, Steve Nash has done a, a surprisingly good job on the early onset of managing this team. Now the the stuff with Kyrie we might not like, but them as an organization they are handling it properly because. Nobody is up in arms per se of what's going on. Like the yeah, players the, the are PR you know, about this. Yeah, fine. Right. The, the they are they are controlling it. They are controlling the narrative. 
They are, you know, the only stuff that's getting leaked is by, you know, Woj and those type of guys who are doing, you know, the digging to find stuff, but nothing's creeping out of that Nets locker room. So yeah. they have a good rapport there. Yeah. So I don't think it's that. I think it's the on-court chemistry where now you have another guy, which Kyrie was a point guard, has been a point guard, is a point guard, a score-first point guard, a ball-dominant point guard, who left Cleveland because of the fact that he was playing with another ball-dominant player Mm -hmm. who now has to defer again because James Harden is a ball-dominant player. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, his offensive game has evolved to the point where he can get looks for other guys while also scoring himself. And it's different with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant has learned to defer because of his time and playing a system, you know. So I think Steve Nash will try his best to utilize a little bit of that Golden State stuff. But I really want to see. I mean, the other thing too is if somebody gets hurt now with this lack of depth. Because I mean, all right, Kyrie, Harden, Durant, Green, and uh, Jordan are your starting five mm-hmm. projected. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you could start Harris at the three and Green at the four. What if one of these guys or two of these guys go down? It's an X factor they got to deal with because I mean, now you got to insert Larry Sh- Landry Shamit into the into the lineup, and you have nothing behind that. Or, or you run into a situation like we've seen some teams do with COVID. Yeah, COVID oh, protocol, COVID protocols, and all of a sudden you can only suit six guys. Yeah, it's a it's a weird situation to watch from afar, but to see what Brooklyn has inherited. It's either going to be boom or bust. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. I'm looking at their schedule. I think the test here is going to be for them in early February uh, because on the 2nd they play the Clippers, then they play Toronto, Philly, uh, Detroit, Indiana, and then Golden State. And, oh, by the way, uh, end of January they've got back-to-back games against Miami. It's going to be a tough stretch, so we'll see what this team is really made of moving forward. But with right now we just kind of have to see how this is all going to combust if it's going to combust because we have three big egos when they all get down the court together how long is the honeymoon going to be in effect and then what happens if they start going on a losing streak there's so many factors going on with this trade but this is definitely sending ripples throughout the nba so hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odph what is your thoughts about the james harden trade to brooklyn are you for it are you against it and why let's talk shall we we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies. Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and time to talk some UFC. Oh boy. Now, this past weekend was a card on ABC that we touched upon lightly last week. Definitely has some quick highlights to go over because... Yo, if you have access to ESPN+, Plus, skip the rest of the card. Just go to that main event. Yo! Yo. Max Holloway. What? That was nuts. God fucking damn. Just put on a clinic against Calvin Qatar. I mean, honestly, Stones on that, man. Holloway kind of... Little bitch. I mean, how do you not finish that? I the question is, knowing Max and Max, obviously one of the best featherweights to do it. 
was talking a lot of trash in that one. He was listening to the commentary team. Yeah. At the end of the at fifth round, you know, where they were talking in... He's and I thought he was talking. I didn't realize where the commentary team. I thought he was talking to his opponent's corner. And I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. You see that happen. And then they started laughing. Go, oh my god, he's listening to the he's listening to us while he's fighting. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, Max likes to talk a lot, and he's backed it up in the cage. And obviously, this was another case uh, winning by decision over Calvin Qatar. He probably should have finished them at some point. But give the yeah, credit because he almost got caught a couple times. Yeah, Qatar was definitely game for this. But it's just a different skill level. And Max, not being fighting for a belt, I think he wanted to prove a point that he still should be in that title talk. Sure. So big performance for him on ABC for network TV. Huge card. Oh, great timing, 3 o'clock, midday. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing was going on. Yeah, so definitely had some eyes on it before the football games really kicked in. Yeah. So It also made me realize why what we're going to talk about next is in Dubai since they're allowing fans in the building. Sure. It took me a minute because I was like, why is Connor fighting in Dubai? Like, hmm. And I know that he had stated that he wouldn't fight unless in front of fans. Right. And I'm like watching this fight, and I'm like, when the light, you know, would shine during entrances, I would see people. And I'm like, like they had had people in Fight Island too, but like, you know, it was media guys, team oh, members, yeah, yeah. like what have you, you know, people that were allowed in the you building. Could, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you could still. And then all of a sudden, like as it continued to flash, I saw seats and and everything. And then they showed the pan of the arena, and I'm like, ha ha ha! Now I know why they're fighting because they're allowing fans there. That's why Connor's going to Dubai. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Dana has set this up very well because obviously before the fight happened this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. We had another decision-like event with the one and only Habib meeting with Dana. Oh, yeah, that chestnut. Yeah, yeah. And then it was announced per Dana that Habib would come back if there was something that impressed him enough to come back to. Sure. Sure. So, obviously, all eyes are now shifting to UFC 257 this weekend. Taking place from Fight Island. Well, not Fight Island. Fighting from, it's literally from the stadium in Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. So this has definitely been moving and shaking a lot because once you get the one and only Conor McGregor back on a card, one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in MMA, uh huh, you know it's going to be box office. And you know ESPN Plus is going to have issues. Oh, there's oh, going to be. Don't say that. There's going to be all types of things. We'll obviously be doing the live reaction on twitch.tv slash 67 podcast. So you definitely want to drop that follow and make sure you don't miss any minute of that content because the live reactions for this one is going to be definitely in play. Because Habib said he needs to be really impressed to come back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he uh, retired after the Justin Gaethje fight, obviously losing his father. He definitely was in a very emotional state, went out a champion. I honestly don't think he should come back, in my opinion. He has nothing left to prove. But Same. he said there's some scenarios that would make him do this. Two fights on this card are ones that could definitely maybe move the needle for him. And obviously, Charles Oliveira is lurking in the wings as well. But the two fights here are the co-main event and the main event. I just want to touch briefly on the co-main event. That's Dan Hooker taking on Michael Chandler. If you're not familiar with Chandler, he is a former Bellator champion. Okay. And he is definitely one of the biggest free agents the UFC has signed over past years. Yeah, so Dan Hooker in 29 professional uh, matches has a a loss record of 20 and 9. 10 wins by knockout, 7 by submission, 3 by decision. Uh, For his losses, he's been knocked out once, submitted twice, and 6 by decision. Uh, On the flip side, in 26 professional matches for one Michael Chandler, he has a record of 21 and 5 nine wins by knockout seven by submission five by decision uh, and for his losses he's been knocked out three times never been submitted and lost two by decision 
And, Pat, just want to touch upon Dan Hooker's last match was against who? Dustin Poirier, where he lost by unanimous decision, and that was in June of 2020. And that was a fight of the year candidate. Uh-huh. Sure. It did get fight of the night. Yeah, that one was an all-out brawl. So that being said, I'm going to make my early prediction and say this is Michael Chandler's fight. And I think that Hooker is going to definitely show up. This is going to go to decision. But Chandler needs this fight to really make a splash because anytime that you have a fighter coming over from Bellator, and I don't mean to pick on the promotion because I think they do put on great fights and they have great fighters there. They're just the the WCW of MMA. It's that second tier that a lot of fans think about that Pat touched upon, that sometimes they come over and they're not the real deal. They're the sexy matches that if. Should have happened 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have had some great fighters come over from oh, there, sure. so I don't want to discredit yeah. the promotion. But for Chandler, this is a big opportunity for him. Yeah. And he definitely needs to get his name out there because a fight between him and Habib would be box office, too, for the mainstream MMA fans. That if you haven't seen him fight, he's got to make a great first impression. Nothing against Dan Hooker, but obviously losing to Dustin Poirier, I don't think that would be enough to generate the needle for Habib. I just don't. I think that he's maybe one more fight away from doing that. So that being said, that's my pick for Chandler to win this. And then let us go to that main event. I don't know if anybody cares about this main event. I beg to differ. <laughs> Do you? Not? I will. What I will say, though, is anybody else feel that there's been kind of a lack of promotion yes. for this fight Com- compared to the Cowboy fight? Yeah. Where it was literally, I mean, I know they have the ads, which have aired, but like, I really feel as though there's been a str- like there's been a lack of like clippings. There've been a lack of of press junkets. Now I know COVID, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But like, sure, you can still do virtual stuff, and and I just really feel like outside of that one hour promo that they aired before the fight, the the uh, countdown or whatever the that UFC preview show is, there's just been a real lack of build here, which I'm shocked. Going into a Connor fight. I mean, let me just pose you this question. This is strictly like a devil's advocate situation. Okay. Do you really need to promote a Connor fight? I mean, no, you don't. But what does what hurts by having additional promo stuff? Think about the last time Connor fought for an ESPN Plus card. It broke the internet. Like it broke ESPN. Yeah. yeah. So, and that was with full media pledge behind it. That's true. This, that was back like, in January. Right. And now I don't, I still, this card is going to sell. But like. Shit, that was a year ago today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. That's crazy. But like, hey, dog, who won that fight, by the way? Oh. Oh, no. No, but seriously, like, think about the amount of just promotion that ESPN was running behind that. Oh, sure. You know, the, oh, Connor's first fight on ESPN. You know, it's going to be must watch, yada, yada, yada. And then. Obviously, COVID, whatever, but like they could still be like pushing it a little bit. My feeling is this, and this is nothing to, against Dustin Poirier. I, I really like Dustin Poirier as a fighter. Sure, as a like I, 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 I hold him very like high status for my MMA watching. The first time he fought Connor, it was a two minute uh, TKO. Right. Yep. I'm not saying this isn't going to be an exciting fight, but I'm thinking that for the promotion they want to do for this, I know it's Connor coming back. It's the first time after a year. Obviously, since the Cerrone fight, he hasn't fought. Right. Different reasons. You can argue whatever the case is. I don't think they want to really do a lot of promotion because if Connor wins this one, all signs point to him and Habib too. So right. 
that being said, if this doesn't go down or they can't make that fight, where do you go from here with them? And I think what they're just saying is Connor is box office enough he can sell himself. That you just have to say he'll be there. Yeah, but even he hasn't done much. He's done a couple of Zooms uh, here and there. He's done uh, a couple of the MMA circuits because there has been some interviews chirping around. Oh, okay. I, he did one, I mean, he, he it, did one with Ariel Hol- He did a whole thing with Ariel Hawani. Yeah. I mean, I guess then as a cat, like as, as a, a casual. But thing. I mean, as a fan of Connor, though. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen this stuff. I mean, here's the thing, though. There is such a thing as too much advertising and, and turning people off to it. You don't. You, you want to advertise something, but you don't want to do it to the level I think you're expecting too far out because you're going to turn people off to it. If people are turning on ESPN or ABC or you know whatever other network they might advertise this on, and every other ad they're watching on their show, if somebody's tuning into ABC to watch you know Grey's Anatomy or something like that, and they're seeing an ad for Conor McGregor every 20 minutes, yeah, they're going to go, holy shit, I'm not watching this. I'm tired of seeing this. They're not going to run the promo between Grey's Anatomy. What I'm you get saying, my point, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like, He's the most polarizing fighter they have. Arguably Out, him and John. Him and John, right? Yep. Okay. So when you're talking about the fact that you have, um, you know, had a very good streak of pretty good cards, mm-hmm. you know, I, oh, fuck, look at the Adesanya fight. Yeah. That was everywhere. Now, okay, this is a little bit different because, you know, Adesanya was going up an up-and-coming undefeated fighter. There was a real beef there. But that promo was ran between every single Monday night football game. And, like, I'm just saying, like, for being such a polarizing fighter, and and I know the Poye thing, a lot, you know, got knocked out in the first two minutes, but, you know, you tell the story of that was, I was a different fighter then. I'm a new fighter now. I've been reborn as a fighter. Like, that's the story that you he's tell. A, he's a polarizing fighter, but at the same token, hasn't really done anything lately to be super polarizing? No, but that's Connor, though. He doesn't need, like, you either love him, me, or mm-hmm. you don't. Diesel. Diesel, yeah, sure. Like, and and those people that don't will buy the fight just on the fact of, I want to watch him lose, and I'm gonna buy the fight as a fan because I want to watch him fight. Right. It's one of those odd situations that I think that the UFC is just relying on him to sell himself. Like he's been doing the media circuit for the MMA shows. Like I said, Ariel Hawani, he had a yeah. big interview, and yeah, then, and then he a one on one. Yeah. So he's been working the circuit, but I don't think that they've been really pushing the needle because I don't think that they're worried about selling this no. as much. Not saying anything away from the Donald Cerrone fight because I think that that one was a fight fans had long been interested in seeing. Right. It's tough to get hyped up. And th- like I said, this is nothing against Dustin Poirier. It's tough to get hyped up when you see somebody get knocked down in two minutes and say, okay, we're going to run this back. Even though, according to uh, Sports.com, which I have to give credit for, Poirier has gone 10-2. and two. Since that fight, I guess that loss being to Habib. That's I guess the confusing thing to me because of the fact that Cerrone fight was so press heavy. I th- and I'm I'm looking back. I think the reason that might have been so press heavy was because the fight card that took place immediately before the UFC 246 was was Connor versus Cowboy. Uh, that was a UFC fight night between Korean Zombie and Frankie Edgar. That took place on December 21st, 2019. UFC 246 was on uh, January 18th, 2020. You had a solid one year ago. You had a solid month. Of where there was not a thing okay. going, going on for UFC. You look at this. That might be. You, you look at this. They just right. had a, they just had a card this past Saturday between Max Holloway and Calvin Guitar. There's a card on this <laughs> Thursday. This, this, when, this Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. There's a card on this Wednesday. So they don't want to. You know, they don't want to drown out their other promotions and their other cards going on. Now that makes sense. 
That when you put it that way, now it adds up because yeah, I mean, yeah, the, if so you're running, there, there was a between. The, oh, the before. Wednesday cards already fallen out on the wayside. Oh yeah, it, it's a shame too. Oh, what's going on? COVID? She, no, she has some. No, and it's a good, oh, card. No, it's but, a good but card. Did you know about that card? No, I knew yeah. they were fighting. When I knew yeah. they were fighting midweek, I didn't know if it was oh, sure. Wednesday or That's Thursday. Noon too. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah, like it's at a wild time too. <sighs> but this is where the Connor machine, love him or hate him takes over that he'll start making some noise he'll get on twitter he'll get on instagram he'll start i'm waiting for wins you'll, you'll start you'll start seeing a push maybe like the bottom right at espn you know yeah. this, well, this week if you open the app you might see something about yeah, it like i said the, come he, wednesday at like whatever time that card gets done you three five whatever the hell it is that's when they're gonna go full tilt I advertising just, the shit out i do i've been checking youtube all day for embedded because I love watching mm-hmm. for fighters that I like. Yeah. I love watching the embedded stuff well, just, up until the fight. He just got there today. He just got there. He just got there. Well, they yeah. they would still film the embedded right, right, stuff. Right. No, right. But that's probably why you're not seeing. But yeah. that's why I said they're editing up. They'll probably uh, okay. be released for the next yeah, twenty four well, hours. And you got to figure just because with the way COVID and travel and everything, the the UFC film crew can't get to where he lives in Ireland right now because oh of he's travel. not in Ireland. Well, no, no. Yeah. But, but even <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Even for the travel, I think I think he took a yacht. Yeah, he, he did some, He did something Connor-esque to yeah. get over there. And like I say, for this fight, it's a tough sell. All right, break down say. the fight. Tell me why McGregor's going to win, Ken. Oh, very simple. <laughs> I am actually agreeing with you that I think McGregor's going to win this well, fight. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it any other way. Yeah. So. But here's why I'm breaking this fight down. Dustin Poirier is definitely gone through some battles. And obviously the one with Dan Hooker is a fight of the year candidate. Uh, like, in, in succession, he beat Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, and Max Holloway. Well, he beat Gaethje, and then Gaethje still got a title fight, he huh? N- yeah. He knocked out Gaethje. Yeah, that was a <laughs> rock'em sock'em. Like, that was, TKO. But with Poirier, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him in this kind of limelight. Because... While he has definitely shown up for fights, and he's won, uh, I believe, the interim uh, featherweight, if I'm not mistaken, it this is something that the bright lights, I think, are going to get to him a little bit. And obviously, hearing all week since this fight was signed, two-minute knockout, I think it's going to mess with his head a little bit. I think that that's going to be a struggle for him to overcome, even though it shouldn't. He's an impressive fighter. And like I say, I, I hate saying this about him, but... In that kind of uh, talk, I just think that it's going to be tough for him to overcome. And now the pressure of you really got to go out there and perform, and you might get Habib again. And obviously the first time it went around didn't go his favor, but then again, who has it gone in a favor against Habib? <laughs> right. So that being said, I think Connor is going to win this one. I don't think it's going to be a first-round knockout, but I think it's going to be a TKO stoppage. Okay. I, yeah, I think Connor's going to win too, but it's not going to be in the two minutes he's been saying. I think Connor is very motivated uh, from going from top of the world, best fighter of all time, greatest of all time, you know, all that conversation to fallen by the wayside a little bit. Now he's not considered the greatest. I think he's going to want to come in there and remind people, hey, you know, I'm still the same guy I always was. I'm still one of the best of all time. I, I think he's got a little extra motivation that, you know, Poirier just not ready for. It's going to be a tough challenge. I Like I say, this one is going to be worth the time, and I would be shocked if it was over in two minutes again. Oh, I, I would I, be too. I, I There's would no be. way. But here's the argument then. All right, where do we go from here? Habib is going to be laying in the wings. I know that he has talked about doing this grappling. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it a grappling match sure. with a 40-year-old GSP. Right. And pray. I don't give a shit about seeing that, and I no, will be no. very honest about that. Uh, you've been very vocal about that. Yeah. The, I'm sorry. If you, want, if you want to watch a grappling contest, it's great. If you're going to pay for a fight, watch something else. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be bored to tears because that's all it's going to be. For Habib Connor, 
Oh, that's a money fight as much as I hate to say it because Connor will absolutely get destroyed Yep. if they go a second round. You don't or know that. Time. Oh, I'm fully banking on that. I would bank Habib just tears him apart. He Listen, he could evolve and be ready. Okay, let's uh, not just destroy. I mean, I'm sorry. Hey, like, any given Saturday, okay? Any, any given Saturday. Any given Saturday, something could happen, but I always don't see it. But I think Connor is going to win this any given Saturday. I think that um, Poirier, like I said, for an interim champion that he's been, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm escaping me right now off my head if it was featherweight or lightweight. I think it was it's, lightweight. It's, I light, think, it's lightweight. Thank yeah, you. I, I looked it up. Thank it, you. Yeah, it was the UFC.com's got to update their rankings, but yeah, I, no, I, I had to dig it up. But, I mean, I just, I, you know, obviously the year off is concerning because the last time he had such a long layoff, you know, things didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the Cerrone fight was a, a little bit of a delay, but I mean, he just, you know, cow, that was, he, Cowboy was not ready for the moment. No. Like, I mean, let's just, he was definitely, you could see it from the time that he started walking out from the, the entrance, a little bit of deer in headlights. Yeah, no but, disrespect against Cowboy. No, but that's been something that's haunted him his entire career. Right, and I mean, I don't, I, I you know, I don't, Poirier, I don't know well enough. I mean, obviously he's had big fights right. and, and everything, um, but I just, you know, it's a different thing, especially with Connor now evolving his game to the grappling. Not so much the grappling, but the uh, the standing, uh, the tie ups and everything. Yeah, right. The the clinches. You know, with that shoulder of doom. Uh, you know, I mean, if he breaks that out, you know, is that going to cause a problem? I mean, literally breaking Cowboy's nose in a matter of moments. You know, change that fight. You know, oh, I mean, absolutely. Had you know, maybe if you know he didn't break his nose. 30 seconds into the fight, you know, maybe Cerrone would have been able to, to hang on a little bit longer and, and and land some punches himself and maybe gone to the second round, you know? Yeah, it's, it's one of those situations with Cerrone. I mean, you talk about guys that have gone through battles and, I mean, how many fights he's done in a year, let alone. The, I mean, he's, he's fought more times in a year than people do in their entire career. Sure. I think it's just the wear and tear has caught up with him. I mean, Poirier is kind of cut from that same cloth to right. a degree because he has been in some battles. Like, if you want to really go through his career – it's a stellar career if you want to see action-packed fights. I just think at this stage, this is Connor's to do, and I think yeah. that. And I think that the year off, he might have some cage rust. Maybe I don't think he is. I think that he's going in fully intent that this is going to be the, that final run. But uh, yeah, and that and his game, like his fight, his fight game has evolved so much from that first fight with Poirier to where it is now, where he's going to throw something new that you haven't seen that you're not ready for that. It's going to cut you off guard. It's going to be a real interesting fight to watch. So I mm-hmm. think we're all in unison that Connor is winning this one. Yeah. So, well, I know <laughs> yeah, you I mean, are, yeah. What do you say? Yeah, I know. I know. I'd be shocked to say otherwise. But if you want to see some more live reaction this weekend, UFC 257 will be on wherever you watch your great UFC fights. And we will be live reacting on twitch.tv slash 67 podcast. Diesel will be in the house. Oh, boy. He's waiting for you, coach. Yeah, hey. I mean, Aaron's excited. We are, I mean, locked in, babysitting and everything. So we are good to go. Oh, can't wait for this. So definitely you want to join in that chat, drop that follow, and definitely give us your picks for UFC 257. And what's your thoughts about Habib coming back? Are you for it or you're against it and why? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. 
That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. And check out what all is going on at 30andNerdyPodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to round the bases and take the show home. Got to talk a little bit of baseball. And, you know, Brian Cashman must have been listening to the end of the episode last week. We- I heard he does listen to the show. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. Because, as I said at the end of last week's show, Brian Cashman, you know, signed DJ LeMahieu. What are you waiting for? My prayers were answered a couple days later. Uh, the Yankees agreed to a deal with uh, second baseman DJ LeMahieu for a steal of a deal. Yeah. Uh, six years, $90 million contract. Absolute steal of a deal. Locks him up for... Probably the rest of his career. He's in his you know early to mid thirties, so uh, probably the rest of his career. Uh, only player in Major League history to win a batting title in both the American League and National League. Uh, he finished third in the American League MVP voting uh, last year. He was fourth the year before. Uh, so definitely a huge move. But the Yankees weren't done there. Uh, just the other day, uh, the Yankees agreed to a one-year, eleven million dollar deal with a two-time American League Cy Young Award winner Corey Kluber uh, to bring him down to New York. Uh, he's thirty-four years old. Uh, in uh, nine years with the Cleveland Indians, he went ninety-eight and fifty-eight with a three-point-one-six ERA. Uh, it, when he won his first Cy Young in twenty fourteen, he went eighteen and nine. Uh, and then during his second Cy Young year, he went eighteen and four and led the American League with a two point two five ERA. Uh, high risk or excuse me, low risk, high reward uh, type of deal. If if he's in you know his dominant form of his two of Cy Young years with Cleveland, he's definitely an upgrade. Uh, I also think this means uh, the end of the Masahiro Tanaka era in New York. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I with Tanaka asking for like what 15, 20 a year 15, or something. 20, yeah, I mean it, it, the signs are uh, pointing to him going back to Japan and pitching in Japan for a higher deal. Which okay, yeah, go get your money, but I don't think you're going to get that at the no, stage in, I mean, your, in he, your major league baseball, especially career. when he gave up as many home runs as he did. Yeah, exactly. So, but we got the machine back in the Bronx. Uh-huh. That's what matters. We got machine, coach. Yeah, I uh, well, I ended up touching on my base with the Knicks being on a two-game win streak, so I'm going to switch it up and, and do a little across as the uh, Premier League announced that they are going to have uh, back to a touring-based model for the 2021 season Ooh. after being one of the first two leagues to uh, start with the bubble uh, by being in Utah. So the season's going to start June 4th, uh, 2021. It will include a schedule of 43 games. That's 11 weekends. Uh, with the tour-based model. So, you know, obviously, if you are in lacrosse and looking for that and fans are allowed to be at places that they announce and you feel comfortable going, find yourself a way to get there. Enough said. So for my base, got to talk a little wrestling. Okay. Wrestling. Wrestling. Now, it's been somewhat stellar TV. Uh, I know Impact Wrestling had their big pay-per-view. I did it on the Blogs Count Anywhere uh, preview for Hard to Kill. Which and apparently that, Ethan Page was not happy with. hey Well, the segment is him versus Karate Man. Yes. So, in Impact fashion, wacky hijinks. <laughs> so we'll, Which it wasn't supposed to be, apparently. It was supposed to, he, he shot it in a very serious manner, and the way that they edited it made it a straight comedy. Yeah, it, it's something when Impact, I guess I'll do a minor spoiler... When they decide to do these weird murder angles, it always comes off odd. 
Yeah. Like, they they have a history of killing off characters. Which I think is kind of, it's fun. It's, it's different, fun. you know? Yeah. yeah it's, Christ, how many times has WWE killed Vince? Right. So this time, obviously, with Ethan Page and the Karate Man, uh, it was what you expected. And he is now a free agent, which I fully suspect he will be going to AEW as soon as everything is permitted for him to go there. Uh, the rest of the week was pretty much summed up with Alexa Bliss did a Haruken yeah. to end Monday Night Raw. Yeah. That was that was something. That yeah. was yeah, it was yeah. something. Obviously, Drew McIntyre tested positive for COVID, so he was off the card. And Triple H came in to be filler duty, and you know it was what it was. Yeah, SmackDown is still the best show that nobody's really watching per se because, damn, they are doing a lot of cool things that I'm I'm kind of surprised that the internet has not lit up. I know they're doing well in the ratings; they're obviously drawing near three a week on Friday, but the fact that Shinsuke Nakamura is now getting a push. Cesaro Face won, push. won over Daniel Bryan. Yep. So Shinsuke got his old music back. That's all that matters. Yeah. And Roman Reigns is still involved in the best angle in all pro wrestling. And it has now been booked for him and Kevin Owens for the Royal Rumble. Last man standing, I believe. Yep. I believe so, yeah. So we're going to get weird again. And obviously those two have great chemistry. But it's been pretty just even keel for wrestling as obviously everybody's building up for their shows. So the only thing I know that was announced for WWE was the next three years or current plus two years of WrestleMania where this year it is taking place in Raymond James Stadium down in Tampa Bay again, uh, which I know Kevin Owens is excited about because I saw the other day he simply tweeted out a photo of the ship in Raymond James Stadium. So you know he's going to be looking he at He has not forgotten. <laughs> no, he has not. Uh, next year it is going to be taking place. Uh, also, we should note this year uh, two nights again. Uh, next year it is, it is taking place in Dallas at Jerry World, uh, and then the year after it is taking place at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Thank you. Yes, because I was, I was bringing up. And for anybody that's like asking about why they're recycling stadiums, look, with everything going on with COVID, Vince wants to have fans in the stadiums. Right. I think also the reason they might have switched between because they were going to come back to Tampa Bay because they lost regardless. out. Right. Regardless, yeah, yeah. They that lost was, that was going to happen regardless. And I think the plan was for them to go to California this year, but be, given what's going on with the pandemic and right. the numbers in California right now, not the best idea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they were going to go to Los Angeles. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the fact they're given the two-year window, but they can still do WrestleMania with fans yeah. in Tampa and then in Dallas because Texas is having right. fans in the same, it makes the most sense. Because yeah. I remember I was hearing some chatter online about that. I'm like, yeah. no, it makes sense because yeah. Yeah. of why. Yeah. Obviously, we're all being very optimistic about the future. So when we can get to other stadiums, they're going to be working through that because I know that I'm waiting to see when they go back to Vegas. Yep. Yeah, that, which I mean, I actually, that will be exciting to go in that new stadium. So that will be cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. So, definitely, that was the biggest news of the week, and I definitely want to give a quick mention. The AEW Awards are going to be happening. Oh, okay. So, their version of the Slammy. Uh, Orange Cassidy wins everything. Yes. Uh, they're going to be happening on the Bleacher Report app, Wednesday, January 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Voting is open, and the categories are online at www.aewawards.com. Vote Orange Cassidy for everything. Exactly. Enough said there. So, let's close out with giving our predictions for the big games this weekend. Pad... Lead us off. Uh, Green Bay uh, is going to win the NFC game, and then Kansas City is going to win the AFC game. Coach? Uh, Green Bay, and only because I am cheering for them, and they have not let me down yet, I'm going to go with the Bills. Oh, all right. Thank you, Coach. Only because I, when I've picked them, they have not failed me. This is true. So You've picked them at least two weeks uh, in the playoffs, and they yep. have won both games. And I, I am very, very appreciative of that. Yeah. I will not hear the egregious slander that comes across from the table here. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, Buccaneers at Packers uh, is the first game Sunday, 3.05. Packers are favored by 3.5. I like the Packers a lot in this one. 
Yep. I like Aaron Rodgers big. Um, I will even say a 28 to 24 win. Okay. Um, so that flipping the coin to the Chiefs hosting the Bills, 640 Eastern Standard Time. Chiefs are favored only by three. Well, that's because we don't know what the status of Mahomes right now. Right, exactly. And But that's a typical standard uh, for a home opener when it's kind of split. So that being said, there's no way I'm not picking my Bills. You have well, to. I have duh. to. Yeah, so that was a no-brainer. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring game, so I definitely like the over in this one. <laughs> oh, Christ, yeah. It's going to be a video game thing. This could be in yep. the 40s for both teams. I don't see the defense really mattering. This is this is going to be a game that no matter who wins this game, they go to do film uh, in whatever week it ends up being, whether it's next week or the week after for the Super Bowl. Uh, they don't pay attention to that tape. No, they definitely don't. So they it's toss gonna, it out. It's going to be a wild scenario either way. So definitely stay tuned this weekend for the games and hit us up at OD Parlay Hour for more information on that. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. He's our good friend from Fair City Fire. He has his Patreon concerts going on, and I believe this week he's doing a split concert, like a versus battle. So he's figuring out, I know, because uh, I watched a bit of the one last week, he's figuring out the technology, and yeah, he's going to have a guest on. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to find out. Now, Pad, where do you go to find out about that? OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Right on. You head on over to the music section. You can check out everything going on with Brian, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Floodlands, Shout of the Robots, all the great bands you hear on the ODPH. You can also stop on over to the directory, which has Friends of the Show, Organizational Links, Supporting Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in. Because I say this once, Pat, I say this again. Do you know the golden rule? Uh, the one with the gold makes the rules? Aladdin? Yeah, that is an Aladdin quote. Wow. I went deep there. Pad stretch for that one, but he got the touchdown for that. No, my friend, the rule is if you claim that you are in a pod group and that group is not on Podchaser and you don't have your page on there, you're not in a pod group. So that being said, I definitely want to give a shout out to the groups we are in because you can find us all on Podchaser. So shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to the Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to the Apocalypse. And, of course, shout-out to Hashtag 67 Podcast and our good friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich, Ron, Mike C., and Hashtag Big Nanny Cool, who will be in the house on Twitch this weekend. Viewer discretion will be advised. We're telling you, him versus Coach Duffy versus the Trophy Wife. Fireworks, folks. Fireworks, like Katy Perry was in the room. You want to find out more about that? The links are all there. And you can jump right in on our T Public store, the Twitch channel, everything that is the ODPH can be found on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Coach Duffy got so worked up about Conor McGregor, he actually went home to go search for that embedded. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, and for the one and only Padawan J. No, that's not true. Coach went to go interview for the Eagles. Man, you, <laughs> you had to blow up his spot, didn't you? Uh-huh. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Get the tables. See you next time. <laughs>